Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Welcome to Friday, and welcome to the program. Of all the times that I get to fill in for Mike Farwell, Friday is my favorite. I don't know why. I guess just because it's uh, it's Friday, and uh, 11 degrees today ain't going to hurt either, huh? Uh, it's... Uh, what a bonus. I mean, we kind of we we do well in this part of the world in in southern Ontario weather-wise, right? We do I mean, we get our storms in the winter, we get a little too hot and humid in the summer here and there, but generally speaking, you look around the world and the the weather that's happening and the climate change that's happening, we're kind of we're kind of excused a little bit here. So we'll take 11 degrees uh on February. I was out for a walk yesterday and I was at a light and there was about three or four people on their bicycles, and I looked at them and I said, did you expect to be out on your bicycle on February 8th? And they're like, no, this is fantastic. And I'm like, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll just take it. And and Super Bowl weekend, it's always fun. Super Bowl, huh? even if you're not into football, it's kind of one of those events that transcends sports, you know? It's like you don't watch a lot of football, but the Super Bowl, something for everybody. The halftime show, the commercials, the this year, the added Taylor Swift effect. You know, it's just it's uh, just something to do. I mentioned last time I was on here for Mike that um, January, February, March, you know, like I said, weather wise, we do OK in this part of the world, but still not our favorite months. So we pack in a lot of stuff in Jan, Feb, March just to help us get through uh, these least favorite months, these winter months, you know, it usually starts. The first sign is the consumer electronic show in Vegas, Rob, mid January, right? It's like, okay, what are all the new toys? And then eventually somebody has an auto show and there's a boat show and there's a wedding show. And then there's Valentine's Day and Groundhog Day and Family Day and the Super Bowl and the Golden Globes and the Emmys and the Grammys and the Oscars and March Madness and maybe Easter comes early. And, oh, it's just it's just everything packed into these three months to just please help us get through the blahs of January, February, and March. So one of those is the Super Bowl this weekend, which is, I don't know, I get into it. I actually was into NFL football, American football, for years and years. And, you know, I joined the office pool. Uh, we'd go out Sundays when we could, have the late breakfast, uh, watch the 1 o'clock game and play darts at a pub somewhere, you know watch the four o'clock game at home and Monday night football and all that. And, and then after a, a number of years, I said to myself, I don't, I don't really enjoy the football that much. Why am I watching? So then I just stopped watching it for years, for years. And then a few years ago, I said, you know, I kind of, in, in a way, I don't know whether I just missed the, the times, the good times we had watching football or the football itself. So I started watching it again so I have a new system now. Uh, my For the last few years, my NFL season uh, is about one month. When it gets down to eight teams, I begin to watch. And we're talking playoffs, so all the games are very meaningful and very significant. And I, I keep track generally during the year, like, you know, if there's a, a streak or a win. Or I, I keep track of that stuff, generally speaking, but I don't watch until there's eight teams. And then I get the hype. Of the, of the eight or so weeks or the, you know, about five weeks, four or five weeks, actually eight teams, uh, coming up to Super Bowl. So kind of exciting. Super Bowl again, transcending the sport itself is just this worldwide event with a hundred million people plus watching. And, uh, this year, 
and I heard Simon talk about it earlier, some of the bets and things that are going on. They asked, they estimate not just because it's in Vegas, because gambling is tied to professional sport. Let's be honest about this, especially now with all the, the gambling you can do on your phone. It's a problem actually, but, but I mean, access to gambling is ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. They estimate that $23 billion will be wagered on the Super Bowl this year. Isn't that incredible? $23 billion. And every year we talk about the prop bets. Prop bet is short for proposition bet. What is the proposition? So the proposition is that I think uh, San Francisco will beat Kansas City. Okay, that's one proposition. That's an obvious one. Uh, what What is the number total number of points scored? Go over, under. The football bets uh, are there. Proposition bets tend to, the prop bets tend to be the other ones. Like, um, how long will it take before Taylor Swift's face appears on the scoreboard? on the big screen in the stadium. Uh, and you can get an over-under on that. Five minutes over-under, four minutes over-under. Uh, what color will Taylor Swift be wearing? You say, well, red, of course, because Kansas City, well, no, she might be wearing white. You never know. Uh, will Taylor Swift uh, have a big foam finger? <laughs> that sounds funny now that I say it out loud. Um, but, you know, will she... Will she Show a big foam finger. And what color will it be? What color will her lipstick be? Will Travis Kelsey propose to her on the field? He commented on that, by the way. He said, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about a ring right now, but it's more like the Super Bowl ring, you know. And uh, the prop bets are just crazy. You know, if, if Gatorade gets thrown on the coach, what color will the Gatorade be? You can bet on that. Uh, and, and those are kind of fun. I mean, they're amusing. But then you look at the big number and say that that football fans not only have thousands of dollars for a ticket, some, the lucky ones that are going to be there in person, uh, which, you know, the bottom price now is like $4,000. And that's and nobody's paying that, you know. Those who managed to pick up tickets for $4,000 a pop are selling them online now for uh, $10,000, and $20,000. That's what it costs to be in the stadium. And they fill the stadium. Think about that for a second. Never mind. It's like uh, a family of four to be in a private box is almost $2 million. So if Travis Kelsey wants his family and his girlfriend to be in a private box, I'm sure Taylor Swift can, can write a check as well. But I'm just like, it's $2 million. It's unbelievable. It's $23 billion bet. Anyway, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit today uh, in our uh, 12 o'clock talkback hour and uh, a lot of other things uh, that are going on and uh, 11 degrees. Isn't that isn't just most wonderful day? More in a moment here. It's Larry Fedorik on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell. Today, Mike is traveling with the team, as you've been hearing, of course, Rangers in Kingston tonight, and you'll hear Mike and the pregame at 6.35. In the meantime, um, a great show for you today uh, we put together. A lot of people know this as trivia, but I'm going to ask you, did you know, so uh, just to answer for yourself, this is not a contest. Uh, did you know that Hawaiian pizza 
was invented in Canada, that it's a Canadian invention. If you ever go to those lists of things invented in Canada, that might surprise you. They always have Hawaiian pizza on there. It was in Chatham, Ontario, actually, by an, um, an immigrant from Greece who had a pizza place in Chatham and, and one day decided to put pineapple on a pizza with ham. And, uh, the, the eventually, uh, well, he said at first people was like, oh, this, you know, pizzas, pepperoni and, and mushrooms and tomato. And why would you put something sweet on there? And people balked at first. He said, but slowly it caught on. And obviously it's a, it's an option, uh, today for people, the Hawaiian pizza. So a, a Canadian invention. Yet somehow world, the pizza itself, the pizza, if you go way back, was invented in Naples, Italy. Neapolitan pizza. And there's a pizza maker in Naples, in Italy, who most recently started putting pineapple on pizza. He'd heard about Canada doing it. And and it's not just Canada that does it, but it's Canadian invention. It's more prominent in Canada than anywhere else. The Hawaiian, you know, as it's called, the Hawaiian. Uh, But but he heard about this, so he and now he took it to a next level. What it's done is it's brought back the conversation about pineapple on pizza and what goes on a pizza and what shouldn't go on a pizza. And we're going to have some of that discussion coming up after 930. We have a uh, expert uh, in the field from a research company who's actually uh, it's called Research Company. And they've done a survey on some of Canadians' favorite toppings and and what Canadians think of pineapple on pizza. Uh, Mario Canseco is going to join us in about uh, 10, 15 minutes, and we will have the pizza discussion. And then in, in that half hour after 9.30, we can get your thoughts on uh, what should be on a pizza. And because and, pizza at 9.30 in the morning is actually not bad. Like, have you had the cold pizza for breakfast ever? It, it, it's not bad. It's pretty good with the hot cup of coffee. You know, pizza's good anytime. So 9.30 in the morning, we're going to discuss pizza today on the program. So uh, also at 10 o'clock this morning, I want you to stick around. We're going to talk about, uh, well, certainly cost of living because we're all we're all trying to get through that these days. But cost of living has affected, of course, retirement savings. Who can think about savings of any kind, much less saving for, you know, years from now in your retirement uh, when you need that money to uh, buy food and gas and other necessities, you know? So we're going to talk with a uh, pension expert about um, how we can do this, if in fact we can do this. I, I don't know if we can. We'll find out at 10 o'clock this morning about how the cost of living is affecting pensions and retirement savings. Also on the show today, I don't know if you've heard, but measles has been making a comeback. Canada eradicated measles many, many years ago due to uh, a very effective and uh, widespread vaccine program Um the MMR, is that what it's called? The measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And now, for various reasons, which we'll get into later on in the show this morning, um, measles is making a comeback. And certainly where we see it, where where there's been, I don't want to say epidemic, but they issued a lot of warnings in England, in Windsor, Sussex area especially, 
a rise in measles cases, which is really should be unheard of in the year 2024. It really should be, but it's not. Here it is. And the question certainly comes because we know that um, you are hours away from anywhere in the world and measles can spread. And what about this country has a lot of new Canadians are they coming from countries that have had as active a vaccine program as we have? Never mind just people traveling, tourists, things like that. And measles is so contagious. Uh, uh, unlike a COVID uh, germ, shall we say, a bacteria, that that is very light and small and falls to the ground. That's why we said, you know, if you're six feet away, if you social distance, if somebody breathes out a COVID uh, it'll just fall to the ground. Measles is a lighter one that hovers in the air. And one of the things I heard is that if you, if somebody goes into a, let's say a store and breathes out their measles, <laughs> so to speak, it'll hang in the air for up to 90 minutes. You can get in there an hour later. And so it's, it's funny to be talking about measles, but we're going to with a public health expert from the university of Waterloo. That's coming up also that and more. As I fill in for Mike Farwell, I'm Larry Fedorik. This is City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik, sitting in for Mike Farwell. Thanks for joining me today. As uh, mentioned, we're going to talk about measles coming up in the show. We're going to talk about retirement savings, pensions, uh, and how pensions are affected in our, our personal. This is the time of year, right, where they're always saying top up your RSPs and all that kind of thing uh, ahead of tax season and all the all all the, you know the the banks financial institutions are at you all the time and for the last couple of years and this year we're we're looking at you know inflation and the cost of living we're saying how can I put money away for the future when I need this, I need this money now I don't know about savings and we're going to talk with a financial expert on that coming up also today being Friday we've got the Friday four panel that's coming up at eleven I always enjoy that. Uh, my panelists and myself will be discussing some of the top stories of uh, the week. And a lot has been happening in, in the region and in the world this last week. So we'll get a chance to talk about most of that between 11 and uh, noon today. And then, of course, at noon is the 12 o'clock talk back hour where we throw the mics open or the telephones open to you, the the uh, well, I guess the telephone has a microphone. What am I talking about? I don't know. I'm rambling. Back to my point. It's the talk back hour at noon where we turn it over to you. Whatever you want to um, talk about, all that and more coming up here on our uh, on our Friday, heading into Super Bowl weekend. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of dynasties. Um, I so if. If Kansas City can win their third Super Bowl in five years, that's that's dynasty talk now. That's and Mahomes, the quarterback for KC, is already being kind of put in the the Tom Brady discussion. He's got a ways to go, but it's it's like the thing I like about Kansas City, and this was even before even before Taylor Swift became attached to the team last October, and it's only been last October, by the way, that this relationship has blossomed. And, and this, the, the Swifties and the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs nation have kind of collided. It's only been since last October. It seems like it's been a couple of years of this, hasn't it? It's just, it's just tremendous. I don't mind it. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's pretty much a good news story. Um, 
interesting watching some of the clips of the interviews uh, leading up, you know, the Super Bowl week lead-up interviews where the players get asked about this a lot. And I thought to myself, you know, they're handling it so well, so classy. They must have had a meeting and said, look, guys, you're going to get a lot of questions about this. Don't freak out. I heard one guy talk about, you know, how Taylor Swift is on screen a lot, sometimes more than the players. But that was the only time I heard just even a a slight edge to an answer about that question. Most of the guys, including Kelsey, are like, yeah, no, it's great. We love it. We love the Swifties, and we it's great. We look forward to a great game. They, they must have been told uh, or asked, I guess, in a team meeting, who's got a problem with this? Because if you do, let's work it out right now. Because when we're out there at the press, we're going to be the most cordial, happy bunch of go-luckies you've ever seen, right? We're going to just love everything. Be positive. And maybe that's the way they really are. But I think they had a meeting and said that's what it's going to be like. So we expect a lot of that uh, uh, this 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 weekend, too. As I mentioned, the prop bets earlier about... When will this happen? How about Taylor Swift be involved in the game? Uh, so maybe we can talk about that more in the noon hour. Uh, coming up next, pizza and Hawaiian pizza. And should pineapple even be a consideration? We'll speak with a research expert on this next on City News. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedoric. Coming up in our 10 o'clock hour this morning, we'll talk retirement savings, cost of living being what it is. How do we put money away for retirement? You wouldn't believe how many Canadians believe that they can never afford to retire or never can, never will. Uh, that'll be next hour. Also next hour, we'll talk about measles rearing its ugly rash once again in the world. And should Canadians be worried? We'll talk about that with the University of Waterloo public health expert. That's in our 10 o'clock hour. Of course, the 11 o'clock hour on Friday is the Friday 4 panel of a variety of topics to discuss with the panel today. Uh, right now, I mentioned the story earlier. Uh, Hawaiian pizza, i.e. pineapple on pizza, is a Canadian invention. Uh, late 50s, early 60s in Chatham, Ontario. A pizza maker there decided to try this out and it caught on. Some people uh, are never never pineapplers. Uh, some people love the Hawaiian. Uh, but most recently, uh, where pizza was invented centuries ago in Naples, Italy, a Neapolitan pizza maker there added some pineapple, and it started to make some news and brought up this discussion again. Our guest uh, has done some research into this. His company is actually called Research Company. He is the president uh, Mario Canseco joining us. Hello, Mario. Good morning, Larry. Great to be here with you. Thanks for joining us on this. You have done some research on this. How do Canadians generally feel about pineapple on a pizza, being Canadian invention and all, you know? Well, we've looked at this issue three times. We started asking in 2019. We asked again in 2021. We asked again in 2023. It really originated out of a discussion that I had in the newsroom while I was covering an election. And usually, you know, it's 11.30 p.m., you're going home, and that's when they order the pizza for everybody who is working on the newsroom. And I noticed that the one pizza that wasn't touched by anybody was the Hawaiian, uh, which is, by the way, my favorite. So I thought, well, this is good for me because I can have more right. of the pizza I like. But I thought, does everybody feel this way? Is this a situation where most Canadians really dislike Hawaiian pizza, even though it was an invention that, was, uh, that, that came from Canada? 
And the reality is that uh, it's not that bad. You know, we have more than uh, two-thirds of Canadians who say they would eat pizza with pineapple, only about three out of ten who say they wouldn't. Uh, So that group that doesn't like Hawaiian pizza is very vociferous, very loud, very active on social media, but it's not a majority. Okay. But two-thirds, it's still not bad. It's funny you should mention... We would get pizza at the radio station and um, whatever was left over, you could Tupperware it for take it home, you know, and and there was all the Hawaiian was always left over. Just like your experience. I always had that experience. Uh, What what is is there a number one choice like this has to be on a pizza that Canadians uh, say that they, they, they is their favorite? Uh, the number one topping uh, is uh, definitely pepperoni, uh, 53% right. of Canadians. When we said to Canadians, look, okay, maybe you like Hawaiian pizza, maybe you don't, uh, but this, uh, this is a list of toppings that you can put on a pizza right now if you wanted to. Which three would you pick? And the number one is pepperoni at 53%, then mushrooms at 39%, and then sausage at 24%. So when you look at it plainly, uh, there's an opportunity for people to say, maybe I won't choose a Hawaiian pizza. If I'm ordering a pizza, maybe I'll add something that is different. But it's not as if the dislike for Hawaiian pizza is, is uh, as, as high as some people would lead us to believe. You know, To have two-thirds of Canadians say, I would eat this. Uh, most politicians would kill for a rating like that. <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm going to throw you a curve here. Did, did you ever ask if pizza is round or square, or do people even care about that? I haven't asked that question. It's something that came up recently because um, we've been having a, a several pizza chains across Canada, particularly here in BC, who are starting to do things differently and to call their pizza specific style. Some are calling it Detroit style. Some are calling it New York style. Um, so it's an important matter in the sense of is this something that, that messes with the idea of what a pizza should be like? And, and, you know, when you have a situation like the one we've had in Naples recently where they said, okay, let's just try what the Canadians are doing. Um, maybe it's time to embrace other things. So it, it would be worthwhile asking in the next one. Yeah, because with a square pizza, you get those center pieces that have no crust at all, no outer crust, right? Yes. So that's that's a big thing for me. Do you know the guy in Naples, he doesn't uh, use tomato sauce on his pineapple pizza, though? It's interesting because, you know, a, a lot of the resistance that we've seen historically for Hawaiian pizza is, you know, you need to have the three ingredients and it has to be this kind of cheese and it has to be this kind of oven. Uh, and, you know, we've seen the way in which dishes evolve. You know, we, we've had the same discussion when we've asked about poutine. And, and we have people in Quebec who say, I like poutine. But this thing where you're adding chicken to it or you're adding other stuff or you're adding other spices, that's not traditional. Well, it might not be traditional, but that's where we're going. You know, this is part of the evolution of a dish. Of, of Yeah, you, you're right to mention poutine because so many foods now, you, you're you taking the traditional and and adding, subtracting, combining. It's very interesting what, what people are doing now, all this fusion food, right? Yes, and it, it's also part of the way in which um, you can bring some of those dishes uh, to be easier for people who are coming from other countries. You know, I'm, I'm from Mexico, and, and there's this tendency to, if you want to Mexicanize something, just throw some salsa in it. Well, it might not be as simple as that. Or to, you know, have something that is significantly spicier when you're trying to make pasta, for instance. You know, you have to add some jalapenos because it has to have some bite. Um, this is precisely what we're seeing, particularly with all of these variations of poutine. You know, there's a 
a, a very well-regarded poutine place here in Vancouver that has butter chicken poutine, and and it's uh, it's always full of people who are waiting to to buy it. Uh, but for the traditionalist out of Quebec, it's it's uh, blasphemy. Well, you've opened up a whole other can of food here. It's, oh, I know we could be here for poutine and. <laughs> But poutine and pizza, that sounds like uh, what I'm having uh, tonight, man, or sometime this weekend. It sounds great. Mario, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Larry. Anytime. Mario Canseco is president of research company Pineapple on Pizza. What has to be on a pizza? What should never be on a pizza? Let's get your thoughts in a moment here on City News 570. When you look at it plainly, there's an opportunity for people to say, maybe I won't choose a Hawaiian pizza. If I'm ordering a pizza, maybe I'll add something that is different. But it's not as if the dislike for Hawaiian pizza is as high as some people would lead us to believe. You know, To have two-thirds of Canadians say, I would eat this. Most politicians would kill for a rating like that. That's our guest talking about pizza, Mario Canseco, president of research company uh, out of Vancouver. And they've done research on pizza toppings. Uh, talking about this because Hawaiian pizza, pineapple on pizza, is a Canadian invention, as I mentioned uh, back in the late 50s, early 60s, with a Greek immigrant from uh, Chatham, Ontario, who started putting pineapple on pizza. And, and uh, he, he said, I believe his name is Sam Panana, Panopoulos. Panopoulos. That's right. Sorry about that, Sam. Sam Panopoulos. Anyway, way back when. And he, he over the years, he commented on it and said it didn't catch on at first, but eventually people started to like it. And according to our guest, Mario Canseco and his research company, um, it's about two-thirds, I think just around 70% actually, is people say, I would I would have it on a pizza. Not my favorite. Pepperoni is the absolute favorite. Uh, but I would have it. I wouldn't not have it. It's like, if it's there, I'll eat it. That's kind of the thing about pineapple on a pizza so it doesn't get rejected but it's certainly not a favorite and 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 mary and i had the same experience when you're when you're working or you know that work suddenly pizza for everyone working late or whatever it is and we used to get at the radio station i was at we used to get i think pizzas for lunch a couple times a month and it's pizza day yay and and uh we'd have all kinds of different pizzas for the whole staff and at the end, you'd always go through whatever's left over, if, you know, and, and a single guy like me, I'd Tupperware it and take it home, you know, and not my share. I wouldn't go crazy. And um, so often on pizza day that night, I had pizza with pineapple for uh, dinner because that's what was left over. What should be, I make a pizza actually, and uh, Mario Canseco grew up in Mexico. He mentioned that. I used to make, I used to buy this pizza crust and instead of tomato sauce, I would put salsa and then I'd buy the, uh, you know, the, it's, it's just called Mexican cheese, shredded cheese, right? And it's called Mexican, uh, usually for tacos and stuff. And I use that for my cheese and I would put, um, chicken and jalapenos on it and I'd serve it as a Mexican pizza for actually for Super Bowl. I used to do that. And I called it a pizza and, I would have this discussion. Well, this is very tasty. It's got all the good ingredients. It's got the salsa and the bread and the meat and the cheese and a little bit of bite to it. But it's it's not a pizza. And I go, well, okay, whatever. You know, there's a big pizza chain up still around that, and I, I haven't been there in a while, so I don't know what their selection is. But they used to have something called a pierogi pizza, which was uh, basically um, 
some cheese, but sour cream, some potatoes, some dough. I mean, it was it was nothing like the ingredients of a pizza, but because it was served at this pizza place in a pizza style, they called it a pizza. So I'm like, okay, I I really don't care a, a, about you know it should it be a pizza if it's got this or that or the or the other. In Naples, the guy who brought the story back to us, who, who where pizza was invented in Naples, Italy, when he heard about the Canadian pineapple thing, he decided to try it. Now he has he calls it kind of a white pizza, where because if you get Hawaiian pizza in Canada, it's basically tomato sauce, cheese, plus ham and pineapple usually, right? That's isn't that the typical Hawaiian? It's it's a regular pizza, except ham and pineapple are the two toppings. What he's done is eliminated the tomato sauce, so it's it's there's no red in it at all because he says, well, you just can't mix the tomato with the sweet. And then he uses three kinds of cheese that are normally not on pizza, and I, I forget the names. I think provolone is one of them. But he uses like three different kinds of white cheese. One of them might be a goat cheese, I think. I don't know. And then he like steam cooks the pineapple. And so it's not your typical Hawaiian, but it, as I said earlier, it brought back the discussion of Hawaiian pizza and do you like pineapple on it? Because he started this in Naples, except it's way different. Um, I was at years ago was in Rome, lucky enough to be in Rome for a couple of days and um, went out for pizza because I'm like, when in Rome? Uh, when, when will I get a chance to say I had a pizza in Italy? It wasn't Naples, but it was Rome. It was okay. <laughs> it was just okay. It was just okay. What should be on a pizza? What should never be on a pizza? We'll get your thoughts in a moment. This is City News 570. We're talking pizza. Hawaiian, do you like pineapple? I was just recalling in my mind that when I grew up, I grew up in a small town. We didn't have a pizza place. Uh, during high school, we moved to the city and we could order pizza. It was fantastic. But in growing up, mom used to buy the Kraft pizza kit. I think uh, Chef Boyardee may have made one as well, but we always got the Kraft one. And mom would make pizza from that. And that was just, if you remember, you'd have to make the dough. And then it was just um, this spicy uh, tomato-y sauce and then a spring, some powdered cheese. And that was it. And uh, mom would add stuff from the fridge if if we had it, you know, whatever she'd throw on there. Uh, and it was ridiculous. And And about 10 years ago, I started thinking about that. And I went, do they still sell this pizza kit? And could I recreate that taste from childhood? And lo and behold, they 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 had it. I don't know if they still, but 10 years ago they had it. And I bought a pizza kit and I and I made this this craft pizza from uh from the kit. And uh, normally where where you'd get, you know, pizzas now even from chains or your local favorite place. I mean, they're delicious. They're fantastic, right? They're like gourmet food and a nice dry Valpolicella and a little wine and some pizzas. Delicious. And but but I had my craft pizza with uh, Pepsi 
you know, and and uh, made this thing. And I'm telling you, it was terrible. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I so wanted it to go. You know what? This ain't bad. I'm gonna make this again. And um, uh, my my brother makes it occasionally, like more than more regularly. Uh, like a couple of times a year, he'll do it. I only did that one time. And he's got a whole system to it where he, I think he makes two kits at once and makes them into a big thing and then adds, the, it's, I don't know, I don't know. I'm like, it's it's so easy to just order delicious pizza. Isn't that true? If, if you ever tried to make like a, a really good pizza at home from scratch, uh, buy all the ingredients, how expensive is that? Isn't it ridiculous? It's it's funny how you can order pizza at a at a fairly good price even with inflation and get a large pie and usually like three cans of pop and some breadsticks and and dipping sauces and um and it's a it's a good price everybody's full at the end of the uh, hour you know whereas you try and make that at home you have to buy the cheese and buy the pepperonis and the vegetables and the dough and the sauce and it was like it's way more expensive. It's cheaper to order. Whereas, whereas other foods, Chinese food, can we still call it Chinese food or do we have to call it Asian fusion or I don't know, but that it's almost the opposite, isn't it? Don't you find where it's, it's fairly easy to, and cheap to make it at home. But when you start buying all these dishes at a takeout or a delivery for, uh, for like Asian, it's, it, it it can really run up fast. It can really be expensive. You spend more than you want. Whereas pizza is still, like I said, even with inflation, pizza is still a pretty good bargain. Well, pineapple or not. Speaking of the cost of things, the cost of living is affecting retirement savings. We're going to speak with a financial expert about what we can do about that. Even with uh, uh, all the money we need now, can we save some money for retirement? Uh, I believe he's going to say yes, but we'll find out how in a few minutes here. And then after 1030, we'll talk about measles making a comeback, uh, certainly in England and parts of Europe. And should Canadians be worried? We'll have a public health expert from the University of Waterloo coming up. That's all next hour here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Measles is making a comeback. Canada eradicated measles years ago. Now it's surfacing again, especially in England and parts of Europe. Should Canadians be worried, at the very least concerned or uh, eyes open kind of thing? We'll talk about that after 1030 with the University of Waterloo public health expert. That's coming up an important conversation uh, just after 1030. Uh, this is important. Uh, cost of living is affecting retirement savings. People can't think about saving for retirement when they need the money now. Uh, let's talk about this. Our guest is Executive Director of Pension at the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. Andrew Fung is joining us. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Larry. Thanks for joining us on this. First of all, uh, this is the time of year when we're told to top up RSPs and do all these things. Are, are you hearing that more and more people are just saying, I can't afford it? Oh, definitely. We actually have just completed a poll, uh, which we, uh, talks about uh, people are uh, saying that uh, almost 50% of the people are saying the high cost of living is hindering them from starting to save for retirement. 
Um, uh, in, in, in fact, 80% of the people are now more concerned about paying for basic necessities like groceries, rent, and mortgage savings uh, rather than savings for retirement. And people are cutting back on things, maybe extras, but is that one of the things that is first to go? Well, I, I can't put money ahead for the future right now. Is that one of the first cuts people make? Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I think people, um, when come to face with choices, people uh, often put retirement savings in the back burner because to most people, retirement is a lifetime away, but before you know it, it's right there. And that's one of the reasons why at FISRA we will launch a pension awareness day next Thursday. And it's really the time for us to uh, talk a little bit more about pensions, um, the, the, the value of pension plans, and more broadly, the importance of retirement savings. It's never too late to start that conversation. What we want to do is to create that awareness and make retirement savings as part of our DNA. Well, never too late. I agree with that. But also, uh, we talk a lot about uh, the earlier you can begin to do that kind of thing, the better off you'll be. Definitely. So I'm an actuary by training. Um, so I did a little math, right? And so if you save up for a cut back on a cup of coffee or a fancy cup of uh, bubble tea, that's six, seven dollars a day over a span of 35 years, you will have $150,000 at the end of the day. That's why we, we, we said start young, start early, because if you start early, the task of savings for retirement is less daunting. We have, I, I believe this is part of your survey, 20% of Canadians say they'll never be able to retire. Is that right? That's what our survey says, and understandably, because really, a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people put off the need to save for retirement until very, very late. But uh, that's not too bad, but, uh, you know, I think people who are uh, in that station now, there are a lot of things that they can do. They can, uh, if they're in employment, they should talk to their employer to see if they actually, the employer actually offer any kind of retirement savings vehicle for them. Many times, employees are in a pension plan or in some kinds of employer-sponsored savings vehicle. They don't even know about it. Um, so the importance of it is start a dialogue with your HR to see what's out there, what's uh, what the company is offering. Uh, some companies may offer top-up contributions if you add contributions voluntary to the pension plan. So those are free money. Don't leave free money on the table. If you are a employer uh, and you sponsored a pension plan or retirement savings vehicle for your employees, this is the time to talk to uh, your employees about the importance and the value of those vehicles. They are great talent retention and attraction vehicles. So, uh, under the heading, what can people do right now? That's there's one right there. Is is talk to your employer? I, I love that phrase. Don't leave free money on the table because I I was involved in a similar plan where I was getting for every money I put in, there was money coming from the company into that same. Um, same savings plan, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and unless you talk uh, or aware of that, you know that's free money, kind of forgone, right? So again, one thing is important is that uh, you know paying down mortgage savings for uh, paying the grocery bills that's necessary for today, but savings for retirement is a necessity for tomorrow. Um, to that, uh, when twenty percent of people say they may never be able to retire, uh, what are we seeing though? In retirement, is it still the 60 or 65? Is there a, a, a median age or an age that people look toward? There, uh, I think the last stats that I see is something around between 60 and 
life, and certainly there are a lot more people uh, talking about deferring retirement, and the concept of full retirement is also changing. But a lot of people continue to work, you know, in their retirement years or maybe in a different capacity. So that's another way to, but the whole concept of retirement, I think, is reshaping as well. Right, right. And there's all this, you know, we're living longer, 60 is the new 50. And, yeah. You know, so it, it's hard to put it. But uh, what I want to leave people with this. Uh, 60% of people you surveyed know more about their favorite TV show than they do about <laughs> retirement savings. Is yeah. that right? That's what our survey said, right? And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, retirement uh, pension plan is a complex topic, is a complex financial vehicle. And to many people, it liked years away, and therefore they put it in the back burner. Um, so that's the reason why we, we want to create that awareness. Not a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think about saving for a house and whatnot because that's expensive and a ticking. But retirement can be one of the more expensive, if not the most expensive life events that one has to face eventually. So therefore, wow. start young, right? If you are uh, age 20 or 20-something, a young people starting out looking for a job, most of the time people just focus on compensation, focus on salary, focus on uh, vacation days. But rarely would they ask about oh, what kind of uh, retirement saving vehicles the employer or potential employer uh, it, it will, will be offering, right? And so that should be part of the total compensation uh, considerations. Mm. Absolutely. Andrew Fung, thank you for your time and uh, Awareness Day, Pension Awareness Day, February 15th, uh, next Thursday. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Andrew Fung is uh, Executive Director of uh, Pensions at the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. More in a moment on this on City News 570. One thing is important is that you know, paying down mortgage savings for paying the grocery bills, that's necessary for today. The savings for retirement is a necessity for tomorrow. Hey, Dork, sitting in for Mike Farwell, and that was Andrew Fung, who I just talked to a couple of minutes ago. He is Executive Director of Pensions at the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. You may have just learned that there is a... Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. There is, there's actually a Canadian one as well, which I found out a little while ago, dealing with uh, some pensions and pension funds that I had to look at. And the discussion we had with Andrew was about being aware of pensions. As a matter of fact, they have something called Pension Awareness Days coming up on February 15th, next Thursday. So uh, there you go. You know, uh, uh, the... The whole idea that the earlier you start, and and Andrew, as an actuary, said, I, I've done the math. If you you know save five six bucks on your super fancy coffee every day, um, after uh, a number of years, you could have one hundred fifty thousand dollars sitting in a bank account. After I forget what he said, but like twenty thirty years, you do this, you know, little savings here and there that'll, if you put it in the proper funds, you can end up with some some extra cash. It's really a tough concept. I mean, did you at 20 say, I got to start saving for my retirement or at 25 or even 30? If you did, kudos. I mean, because that's what you're supposed to do. But it's really difficult. But So I never did at, at 20 or, or, or uh, 30 or 40. Uh, well, 40 I did, certainly, but 20 or 30. And, 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 and I must say, as somebody who's now of that upper demographic age, 
the time went fast because at 20, you're like, oh, forever, like whatever at 65 or whatever. And, and then when you, when you start hitting those ages, you go, boy, when did that happen? Time went fast. I went out for a cup of coffee and I came back and I'm retired. Like, when did that happen? You never know. So I get, you know, I, I agree. It's important to, to at least have some awareness of that. The younger age, the better. And kind of, if you, if you've got young people around who are entering the workforce to start encouraging them to think about that and that, that key one, and it's actually a big, uh, a, a big issue is, does your company offer a retirement package? Now, when you hear, for example, as we did in the last 24 hours about huge job cuts, when, when you lose your job and you're making $65,000 a year, $70,000 a year, it's devastating. And you're like, how could my big company be worried about $70,000 a year? Well, they're worried also about all the benefits. I don't know their formula or their math, but when you when you add your salary plus your benefits plus your pension benefits that they may be contributing to, that's a lot of money for them that they tend to want to save. Um, but th- that's why you see more and more part-time jobs out there because the part-time jobs don't have the benefits. Uh, and, and that's why governments have been looking to regulate this kind of idea about uh, yeah, you increase jobs, but they're all part-time. There's no benefits. There's no health. There's no pension. It's like, no, you got to start creating full-time jobs with benefits, you know, uh, for, the, for the future. So it's, it's something to, uh, think about. Here's Rick calling the show. Rick, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Uh, thank you, Larry. It's an interesting topic you have here, but, uh, I think I'd like to share one of the misconceptions regarding RSPs as a savings vehicle. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I started putting money in RSPs when I was in my early 20s, you know, a little bit here, $500, a 1000 and I thought, geez, this is really good. I'm getting back 20% of the money that I'm putting in. The problem is that as you get older and you're earning more and your tax rate goes up, uh, and then if you've had any other investments in that time, now you're paying 35% or 40% on the money that you're taking out of the RSP. So it's it's not a good vehicle, this RSP thing. You're better to invest outside of the RSP. I, I've heard that, Rick. I don't know enough about it, but I certainly am aware of, um, isn't it also, Rick, the rate at which you take out your money? Well, Doesn't that yeah, affect but, the tax uh, depending base? Depending on your age when you start taking it out, again, right. if you've uh, managed uh, through a 50-year career of working, accumulate uh, a certain amount of wealth, and maybe you've got an investment property that uh, supplements CPP or whatever, it doesn't take long to exceed the benefit the discount is actually a net gain for the government and a net loss for you out of your pocket. Uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, the RSPs are often promoted by financial institutions as, you know, safe and beneficial and everything. But uh, that's a great point, Rick. I appreciate your call. Thank you. It, it, yeah, like there are other ways. And I, I'm i not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to, I understand Rick's point, and I've heard this too. I've heard this argument made. I'm not going to say, you know, put your money in uh, in the markets, put your money somewhere. It, it's 
but he's the great point is is the money you put in the benefits you get what what is going to be the tax rate as you take it out because that's and how does that work out more in a moment here this is uh, city news 570 be right back I'm Larry Fedorik, in for Mike Farwell today, who's traveling with the Rangers. And, uh, you know, the game, as we've been telling you, is tonight, 6.30 in Kingston, the Frontenacs. Uh, Mike, along with Paul, and the pregame at 6.35 tonight in City News 570. And the Super Bowl uh, is uh, can be heard on uh, City News 570 starting at uh, just after 5 o'clock on Sunday. If uh, you're out somewhere and just want to at least catch the audio of uh, of some of the game, and uh, th- that all begins at uh, 5 o'clock on City News 570. Uh, we were just talking about pensions, and that's kind of been our theme this last half hour. Pension Awareness Day coming up, and it's sponsored by the Regulatory Authority, Financial Regulatory Authority of Ontario. Pension Awareness Day is next Thursday. And their executive director of pensions was joining us to talk about the importance of uh, thinking about saving early and how how the cost of living is is one of the first things you cut. Maybe is that that money you might be putting aside into a pension or something for the future. You might need to cut that because you need money for rent and mortgage and food and gasoline and things like that. So cost of living affecting that. But there's there's things you can do, I guess, if you apply yourself. I I um. Uh, invest a couple of bucks a uh, couple times a week. I put a couple bucks aside uh, into it. I, I, it's sponsored by the Ontario government. Um, it's uh, what is it called? Lotto six forty nine. So that's one of my my pension plans. There, um, I have that going, and uh, I don't. Not, I haven't had a lot of return on it yet, but I'm still hoping one day that I'll get. Um, uh, you know, two or three million percent return on my investment. Uh, so there's that. And then I also have this other plan that I've been um, around for a few years where I go to the secondhand stores and I buy crap, uh, hoping that this uh, painting that I bought for $5 will actually be a um, Salvador Picasso you know, or something. And I can, you always hear those stories, right? About, but w- w- there's one, oh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, some guys found a bunch of Opeachy hockey card boxes never before opened. Like, and I'm not talking about just a box of cards. I'm talking about cardboard boxes that contained five or six boxes of cards within them. Never, never opened. Uh, and when they looked through the serial numbers and things like that, without even looking at the cards or what might be in there, they calculated that the cards themselves could sell for $1.8 million. And my mom's a a big uh, saver, right? My mom was a big saver. So when she passed last year, eventually my brother and I are going through her stuff and we're finding things like, look at this. This is like uh, from 1953. It's a... picture of this a postcard and and, and uh so I, let's look this up online do they have these and we get to ebay and they're like yep this is selling for 31 dollars <laughs> well okay so 31 million no 31 dollars it's worth uh, 31 dollars so these are generally the hopes and dreams of retirement that uh, aren't practical 
But our discussion today was uh, about more practicality, starting early, putting those uh, even smaller funds aside that can turn into bigger funds later. Measles is making a comeback. Uh, it appears, anyway, in England, there's quite a few cases. Uh, other parts of Europe, should Canadians be worried about the rise of measles? We'll talk to a public health expert from the University of Waterloo coming up next on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Welcome back to the program. Our Friday 4 panel happens in the 11 o'clock hour. Join me in the panel for uh, discussions on various topics. Uh, stories of the week we'll talk about in the Friday 4 panel between 11 and noon. At 12 noon, it's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Happens every day. Uh, so we do that at noon and uh, we throw it to you. Uh, you decide what you want to talk about. Give me a call and uh, we'll talk about a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. We'll talk about it in the 12 o'clock talk back hour at noon today. I've been watching this story for a week or two. Measles making a comeback started in England in Windsor, Sussex, where several cases were reported and then a few and a few others in England, a few others in Europe. And uh, obviously we know through COVID, certainly, that um, these things can spread quickly. Should Canadians be worried? Our guest is Associate Professor, the School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo. Zahid Butt is joining us. Hello, Professor Butt. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me. Should Canadians be worried? Uh, I, I know that's a big question, but um, should we be worried, aware? How would you describe this? Yeah, I think there's uh, two things here. One is that we need to be aware that measles is like a highly communicable disease. So it's it's actually more transmissible than, than COVID-19. And the other thing is, so we do have like high rates of measles vaccination, but there might be some areas uh, or some uh, population groups that may not have that uh, that that of a high rate, and they they may be at risk of getting the measles virus. So just to give you an idea, so you need to have uh, coverage of measles vaccination around ninety five percent to be able to uh, kind of you know stop the transmission in the community or have a sort of herd immunity. So uh, I think these are the points that people should consider when they hear about measles. I. I didn't realize how highly communicable it is and how the droplets will hover in the air up to 90 minutes. Uh, whereas, whereas COVID falls to the ground and if you're six feet away and, but, but they, they can hover in the air a long time. Yeah. So um, another thing you, uh, we discussed a lot like during the pandemic that about the reproduction number and, and the reproduction number is when a person, the ability of a person to infect others, the number of persons that are infected. So basically for, uh, for COVID-19 and during the early days, it was estimated to be around like, let's say around three. But for measles, it's actually 18, which means that a person who's infected with measles can infect around 18 persons who are susceptible to, to the measles virus. So, so just to have a comparison in terms of transmission, yes, it, it's highly transmissible, transmissible if, you are, if you don't have immunity to measles, either through natural infection or through vaccination, 
Uh, and if you get in contact with a measles case, uh, there is a high likelihood that you would get, uh, get the infection. So if you're a tween or a teenager in Canada, generally speaking, you probably had the vaccinations. Are they still yeah, good? So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so you, your first dose you get when you are around like 12 to 15 months of age. And the second dose is when, when you are like 18 months of age. So, uh, you know, it's likely that they might have gotten the vaccine, but you have to realize that a lot, there's, there has been a lot of, uh, immigration, uh, uh, from countries that may not have a very well-developed vaccination program. So uh, so it's it's possible that the populations that are coming here, they might not have uh, the measles vaccination, up, up-to-date measles vaccination, or they might have the first dose, but they don't have the second dose. So we need to be, we need to think about how we are going to actually uh, help these populations to become like uh, up-to-date with measles vaccination. The other thing is also, uh, because uh, you know, some people they sometimes they get only one dose, and before I think it was before 1996 that uh, uh, I think it was in 1996 when they instituted the two doses of measles. So, if people haven't taken the second dose, uh, they are not like fully uh, vaccinated. So, if there are people like this, then they should look at. Uh, their uh, their status and you could do that you could you could there's a test that can uh, tell you like whether you have enough immunity against the measles virus and if you if you do that then you can know whether you are in fact have immunity against the measles virus and th- this is not a self test covid pick it up at the drugstore kind of thing you would need to no. contact a family physician or something yes yes yeah that's correct but as so i'm i was vaccinated as a child i'm 60 plus now i'm I'm still good. Yeah, well, uh, you could. You, well, you. <laughs> I think it depends on whether you had one or two doses, as well as like you could do a test. You could right. go to your family physician and and you could you could say like I need to get see like if I have enough immunity against measles. Uh, so you could. No, do but that I'm saying and, if you're if you know that you've had both, or if or if your uh, teenager had both when they were uh, yeah. under you know under eighteen. That is, is it a lifelong vaccination? Is what I'm asking. If you've had yeah, both, yeah. So, yeah. So it is like it, it is like it. It lasts. Uh, if you have that, then yes, you you are you should be okay, uh, Larry. So, uh, but but as you mentioned, um, uh, a lot of new Canadians. So people should be asking themselves the questions and, and getting that test. I guess. Yeah, like even with like as I said, uh, Canadians who have just had that first dose. Uh, you know, they didn't get the second dose. Uh, they might get the second dose as well. So I think it's 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 not only just new Canadians, but also like people who may, maybe have had only one dose. I think it's mm-hmm. better that they go ahead and get the second dose, or or if people who are who don't really remember their doses and they are concerned that they might contract measles, they can actually contact the family doctor and get that that test to see if they have immunity against the measles virus. Okay. And, and we heard about all the cases in England and, and other parts of Europe. Yes. Now. I think there was a yes. case reported in Canada. Is it a yes. case of if there's one case, then it's a problem or? Yeah, so it depends, right? Like uh, it depends on, uh, so as I said, so measles is highly contagious. So let's say if you are, if, if you start developing symptoms and you start developing the the rash as well, that characteristics of measles. So usually the person is, 
uh, is able to transmit four days before the rash and four days after the rash develops. And the best uh, course of action is that if you if you have those symptoms, which started like high fever, you have runny nose, you have cough, you have red eyes, and then you develop the rash, it's basically to contact a family doctor and, and stay at home because we see that these if the cases are in children, if the if that if that particular child goes to a school with during that period, that child can probably infect the whole class. So mm-hmm. if if there are symptoms like this, and if you think that it could be measles, then I think it's best to basically contact the family doctor and and stay at home. Um, oh, uh, yeah. You know to to stop the transmission of of the virus. That's for sure. There's some good information here, Professor Butt. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. Zahid Butt is Associate Professor, School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo, about vaccines and staying home and all of that and the measles. More on that in a moment here on City News 570. Just to have a comparison in terms of transmission, yes, it's highly transmissible. If you don't have immunity to measles, either through natural infection or through vaccination, and if you get in contact with a measles case, there is a high likelihood that you would get the infection. In for Mike Farwell today. Thanks for joining us. That was my guest moments ago, Zahid Bhatt, Associate Professor in the School of Public Health Sciences, University of Waterloo, talking about measles Concern, uh, you know, obviously when you, when you grow up with all the vaccinations and basically eradicating a disease like measles and then it surfaces again for various reasons, this is not some new strain or anything. This is just a product partly, there's a lot going on here, it's a product partly of the, the anti-vax movement out there and people who refuse to have their children vaccinated and have some concerns over vaccine, none of which I personally share, by the way. I think vaccines are some of the safest things you can put in your body. Uh, But um, this is what happens. This is what happens um, that things like a measles comes away. And because it's so contagious, as our professor Butt just pointed out, um, because it's so contagious and that one person can infect 18 up to 18 people, uh, that's how fast it grows. So we have to be concerned. Some of the very early symptoms, though, and this is the interesting thing to me also, is that there, there, it's, it's like fever and, um, and, and achiness, you know, so this is like, well, I'm getting a little flu, got a cold, I'm doing whatever the, the thing is, right? Whereas, um, the rash, the red eyes and the rash is really the telltale that this is not just a flu, this is measles. Um, but really, I think, and I'm hoping, I shouldn't say I think, I'm hoping that we really learned our lesson during COVID that when you're sick, when you start to get symptoms, whatever they may be, stay home. Because generally your symptoms of, is it is it a cold? Is it the flu? Is it this? Is it measles? These are all contagious diseases. So stay home. I mean, for decades and decades, and still there's there's still this thought out there of, you're a little sick. Walk it off, man. Buck up. Get into work. You know, I've I've often told the story of one of the first bosses I ever had, and we used to we used to kid about this with the you know behind his back because when you'd phone in sick, 
And you'd go, hey, Bob, get a little sickness here, a little throat sore, fever. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to call in sick. He's like, yeah, although, yeah, I got a little bit of that myself. Yeah. And his point was that he's got what you got and he's at work and you are calling in sick. That was his thing. He has, whether he was intentional or not, I don't know, but he was shaming you basically for feeling a little sick and not bucking up and getting into work. And for decades and decades, that was the thing. And if you went into work sick, you're, you're a hero. Oh man, this guy, you know, not feeling well, still came in today. What a guy. There's a dedicated employee right there. And that's just wrong, you know, right? It's just wrong. So the the idea that even if um, you you have these symptoms, because it doesn't take much. And I, I'm not I'm not fear mongering here. I'm not saying, hey, look out, man, because now measles is back. But it so easily could be because of just a few, you know, old beliefs that that we may have. And then again, you know, people people who didn't get their second. Uh, MMR vaccine or or they forgot or didn't get their kids or or are new Canadians they come from a country where they didn't have as uh, as active a vaccine protocol as we did so there's all these factors that we have to kind of I think at least keep an eye on uh, maybe not worried but concerned about uh, measles here's Sean thanks for calling the program Sean go ahead you're on City News 570. Good morning. I you said you were in you were in your sixties, so I guess we're about the same age. I don't recall getting a vaccination when I was a kid for measles. Um, it was one of those diseases that pretty much everybody got. But interestingly enough, I do recall getting it when I was in basic training in the armed forces. I was nineteen. Is that right? And wow. I do have much better memory of getting it when I was nineteen than when I was a kid. I remember my eyes were burning. I had a fever. I was itching, and I remember. Um, the morning, the Monday morning, the corporal walked in. He looked at me and said, get the hell away from me. And they sent right. me right to the base uh, hospital. And the doctor said to me, he says, by the time the spots have appeared, you're past the contagious stage. So I was contagious the whole weekend. And I tell you, the measles ripped right through. I was at CFB Cornwall at the time. And the measles just ripped right through the barracks. Sure. Wow. So, yeah, yeah it, it's very contagious. But, yeah, it's. I don't recall anybody... I, I mean, you were sick, but I don't recall anybody having any, like, dying or anything from it. So, I don't yeah, know. You can't, I mean, you can extreme cases. It's it's possible. But um, I, I was the same way. Sean, thanks for the uh, sharing the story. I appreciate that, man. Because I, as I recall, um, I had measles when I was a kid. I had measles and mumps. Um, and I always ask my mom, did I have chicken pox? Do I have that shingles, you know, thing in my body that I'm going to get? I better get that shingles vaccine now because I... And I don't remember anything about chickenpox. I don't think I ever had them. But measles, I remember having. Uh, but yet I still remember also later on getting vaccines uh, um, as as a kid. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, mom's gone. And, and her memory of it was uh, a little sketchy as well. So uh, uh, I don't know. But there's the other thing that our professor said is like, if you're if you're very concerned, especially if you have some symptoms, get to your family doctor and they can do a test to see if you need updates on your, on your MMRs and your, you know, your measles vaccines. Uh, more in a moment, your thoughts as well. This is City News 570. Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell. Be right back. 
Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell today. We're talking about measles. Um, again, don't want to strike fear. It's just not what I do. But um, when I heard measles in England and um, then in Europe, and then there was one case in Canada where somebody had traveled to that area, uh, I thought, uh-oh, we know how this works. We, we know because of COVID how these things work. They're contagious diseases uh, that if we don't take action, at least become very aware, uh, they can spread and just be back again. You know, for Canada to eradicate measles and then to see cases in other parts of the world, we know how close the world is today. You can get in this sealed germ tube called an airplane and be anywhere in the world in a matter of hours and and bring whatever, you know, diseases and other problems you have to uh, anywhere else in the world. And here you are. So th- that's not happening. W- what I think is that if, if we um, continue the vaccine awareness, I think generally speaking that, that, and, you know, double check. And that's again, even that is a strain on already strained health system. How many people even have a family doctor they can call up and say, Hey, by the way, uh, I want to get an update. I'm not sure about my vaccines as a kid so can i come in and get a test because i heard that there might be some measles you know if everybody started doing that again it'd be very very stressful on on the health uh system but but to me and again i'm a i'm a pro-vaxxer i guess <laughs> i'd say i'm a pro so i i would say that um you know continued awareness of your situation your kid's situation all that kind of stuff uh especially if you're not sure uh, or uh, as an adult, you you just don't know what the situation was when you were a kid, whether you got all the vaccines or you don't remember that you had the measles like our caller Sean did or I did. It's like, oh, yeah, I had the measles, which which leads, which can help immunity. If you've had the measles, that's one of the ways to be, uh, that's the tougher way to be immune against them. The other way is to get the, the vaccines. And most most get the, the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella, uh, vaccines in this country, you get those, and and you're usually vaccinated for those preschool, right? Um, very young ages, so that you're all up to speed by time. By time kids are two, three, four, they get into into pre-K or or daycare or all these. You know, kids are are being social pretty early uh, these days, so that's why those vaccines are done fairly early, so that you can um, you can get all that stuff in. Still to come on our show, uh, it's our 12 o'clock talk back hour. Oh, by the way, the coaches show uh, with Mike Farwell is coming up at noon today. He'll uh, interview uh, UC, the head coach of the Rangers. They're in Kingston tonight. Uh, Paul and Mike will have the pregame at 635. The coaches show coming up just after noon today. And coming up next, it's our Friday four panel, our four panel discussion on various topics of the week. Next here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. One of my favorite parts of filling in for Mike Farwell, especially on a Friday, is this Friday for panel. Welcome our panel today. Managing principal at Northern River Financial, Steve Bentley is here. Hello, Steve. Hey, man. It's good to see you again. You as well. You as well. And uh, welcome back. I've had him on a panel before. He's the uh, uh, former board chair, accessibility, and also student advocacy and stakeholder uh, in... Um, and I always get this this long title wrong, but I'm going to 
count on him. Uh, this is Stakeholder Relations for Post-Secondary Education Sector. David Kuhn is here. Hello, David. Hey, Larry. Yeah, that's a, it's, a long, uh, it's a long introduction, but that's okay. I, I don't mind as long as I get it all in for you. And uh, you also on our panel today, thanks for the shout out on Facebook, by the way, the president of MotivationalSteps.com, Linda Aqual-Jenner is here. Hello, Linda. Thank you. I love being on the show. Uh, thanks. I love having you guys on. It's great. I want to start today with this story of the little free pantry in Cambridge. For people who don't know, Audrey Hill, who's been on with Mike Farwell and her family, started this little, if you've seen the little free library kind of boxes behind glass on a pole at somebody's front yard, it's it sort of looks like that, but it's a pantry and it and they put non-perishable food items in there. And it, it's, it's controversial. Neighbors complained that there was, it was attracting a, a homeless crowd to the neighborhood and others said you needed a permit and it's become, become quite controversial. Um, Stephen, I'll start with you. What do you make of the controversies? Why do we like to make up controversies? I don't really see the strength of, of, why this is an issue, to be honest with you. You know what? Um, maybe there's something to say about having it close to a sidewalk, but we're trying to help people here. And this this lady has been trying for many years to try and provide something for um, you know people who are in need. And you know, then all of a sudden, neighbors are getting nimby on it, right? And I'm just saying, you know, I think that's just such a trivial thing in terms of if it's there and it's looked after and it's cared for now, whether it's too close to the sidewalk or on city property, does it really matter? I just think we get so caught up in these issues of uh, trying to belittle in some ways people who are just trying to do something genuinely good for the community. And, you know, there's lots of places in a lot of different areas of of our tri-cities where we're trying to do similar things, right? You Mm -hmm. look at the KW Collaborative aspect and how all the work they're trying to do. And there's a lot of uh, volunteers and a lot of hard work that's being done by people who are doing it for the good of the community. um, And it helps them contribute to, you know, a lot of issues we have. I mean, we do have a large uh, homeless population in our tri cities, and I think we try to accommodate it with with some of the you know the sites we're we're building and and putting into place uh, to help people who are homeless. But they're out there, and certainly in the last number of years, we've had a very difficult economic environment. We've had inflation, we've had rents go up considerably, we've had people who simply have had a fallen down on bad luck in their lives too, and then all of a sudden put in a situation they never thought they'd be in. So any way we can help them, I think it's genuine. I I agree. And the other part of this that you you touched on is that as a society, as as governments and councils and things, we try and do our thing. Here's somebody, in my opinion, who said, well, what can I do? What can I personally do? Uh, And, and, thought of something and now is getting a little pushback on it. Uh, David, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, did they figure out where the property line is? Because I know there was some <laughs> issue with that with the sidewalk. Look, we're always talking along the same lines what you said, Larry, and what Steve said. We're always talking about people in need and that governments don't or can't do enough financially. And then, you know, people outside of government try to go and do something and then people complain about it or government gets in the way and says, no, you can't do that. You know, it's, it's not safe. You can't give away food. You can't give away drinks. There's all these rules about what you can and cannot do. Now I understand if you're giving away lots of meals and whatnot, you want to make sure the food is prepared and proper and stuff like that. But honestly, if somebody's going to try to do something nice for the community or for a group of people, I don't know why 
we're constantly putting up barriers to that. This is this is a nice thing that started during a not so nice time. And, you know, the fact that they want to continue doing it, I think the city and, and their neighbors, rather than, you know, trying to stop them or not trying, you know, putting barriers in their way, they should be trying to help them. They should I, be I would agree. Applauded. Yeah. Linda? I love this one. So it's taken three years for somebody to complain. Why now? Secondly, bylaw people, from what I've been told when I've got in trouble with them on my property, I've been told that they walk around the, the neighbourhood checking on things. So it's taken three years to find out that the property line is not in the right place for this pantry. So I don't know what's going on. Secondly, um, the bylaws are only really pleased when uh, somebody complains. And I know we don't need to know who complained because then you'll knock on the door and say, why are you complaining? But at least it can be, you know, explained why they're complaining. And from what I gathered when I read about it, would you believe that homeless people have the cheek to actually use this pantry? And homeless people are not welcome in this neighbourhood. Is it a gated community? Who do they think they are? Anybody can be homeless today through no fault of their own. I, I am so fed of everybody saying we're a kind community and be nice to everybody. This is a load of rubbish. And also, if I was these people, I'd get a lawyer to find out where my property line is. And also, every single pantry has to come down now. Every single little box that has books in that people can take books out. You cannot treat one person like dirt and leave everybody else till a person complains. I think the bylaws should step up and start doing a little bit more work. Well said. I... You know, there is the bylaw aspect. And then there's, of course, even if you don't know who complained, you're looking at neighbors, people you want to get along with. And you're like, well, who complained now against me? And it's just it creates a tension in a neighborhood that shouldn't even be there. Great topic. Uh, great or discussion, rather, panel. Thank you so much. We're going to switch topics back with more on the Friday Four panel. You're on City News 570. Welcome back to the Friday Four panel. I'm Larry Fedork, sitting in for Mike Farwell, who's traveling with the Rangers. Hear him tonight, starting at 6.35 on the pregame as the Rangers are in Kingston. Uh, welcome uh, my Friday Four panel today, Steve Bentley, David Kuhn, and uh, Linda Ockwell. Jenner is here. I want to talk, guys, about uh, measles. Linda, I'm going to start with you. Uh, there's a We just talked about it with a health expert from University of Waterloo, but uh, something we eradicated in Canada... Now it's starting to pop up in, in England and other parts of Europe. We have a case in Canada of somebody who's traveling over there and brought measles back. Uh, what are we doing here? Is it because of the, the the anti-vaxxers or are we just too safe and comfortable now? Um, what do we do about this? Yeah, it's, it's terrible in England at the moment. Um, I had four children. One was allergic to eggs, my eldest, and so – a friend told me you can't have the measles vaccine because he'll have a, a seizure or something. So did I believe my friend or did I go to my doctor? I went to my doctor. So if we've all lost faith in the health professionals and we don't trust them anymore, I do believe that we can have add-ons, you know, to our doctors. There's lots of different people who do different work that are not, you know, the doctor we go to, you know, for the, the daily stuff. But listen to the person we trust the most. We are putting our kids' risk at in our kids' life at risk. All all my children have been vaccinated. And it was a must when we, we uh, emigrated to Canada. We had to show proof we had all our vaccinations. So what's happening is 
people are listening to other people who say, well, my child had this happen when they had measles. Is it true? Are they just spreading, you know? So basically they're not only just putting other people, their, their kids at risk, they're putting other people's kids at risk. So I think it's very sad that basically, well, I mean, I was told that, um, you know, more people are getting breast cancer because of the COVID um, vaccination. Where is the proof? There is no proof. It's absolutely ridiculous. So if parents are making the wrong decisions, they're putting their kids' lives at risk, and adults can get it as well. And most children are done when they're very young and then they don't need a, be- a booster, but some people will need a booster. So if it was me, I would think um, about the, the long part of it, you know, and say, well, does everybody want to get measles? And, you know, did you know people can die? Measles children can, and they can go blind. So so my thought is to anybody listening out there, don't trust me, trust your doctor. And if a friend said they had a bad uh, reaction to it, their child did, well, that was their child. That's not your child. So I think it's very sad. Right. I do, really. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, science is not just a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking. And I'm, I always go, you know, bow to the scientists and the, the medical experts and the, um, and people like that. David, um, what, what's happening here? Are, well, are, know, are we checking our vaccination status? In a world where COVID is fake, where 5G kills, and Bill Gates wants to microchip people using vaccines, I mean, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not surprised. When you got stuff like that floating around, I'm not surprised that we're hearing things like this. It's obviously not the sole reason that measles is making a comeback. I think your last guest, uh, you know, talked about people coming from other areas where vaccination is not as prevalent for, for, you know, logistical reasons and and other stuff. We've always, and we've always had people here that are exempt from certain vaccinations for whatever reasons, measles may be included. Um, But, you know, a lot of people just aren't getting them anymore. It's like we forgot the whole reason that vaccinations even exist. You know, it's to prevent diseases, the spread of diseases and whatnot. So, yeah, people need to smarten up. There's something to be said for doing research and being comfortable, you know, being mm-hmm. comfortable. But as Linda said, like, don't listen to the guy on YouTube and, and the Internet. Go to your doctor, you know, and it, I would I would trust my doctor sooner than I'm going to trust some random, you know, random blog post on, on the Internet. So I'm sorry. Can, can I ask a question, David? We immigrated 30 years ago. Actually, it's 31 years soon. We had to show proof. We're from England. We had to show proof that our kids were vaccinated and we were up to date, whatever we did. Do they not do that anymore? Because I keep hearing it's people from different countries. How do we know it's people from different countries? How, what, where's the data? You know, a, that, are we just making assumptions? Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe that's something to uh, to follow up on for another show. But, uh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It, but yeah, there, there was something. I, I do remember... That that was a thing for for a long time. Maybe now it's against, uh, you know, some sort of human rights. Human I human rights, know. yeah. We'll all die you know. instead, you know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so yeah. sorry, Steve. <laughs> no, Steve. I want to get Steve in on this. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, we live in a a real deja vu and an era of, of really not pretending to what's gone on in the world before. And I think you know when we look at. Uh, People who are looking at the anti-vax movement and talking about not getting vaccinations because they're afraid. I mean, we need to look historically at some of these vaccinations. I mean, when we're talking about 
measles, when we're talking about smallpox, whatever, there's a track record there. And to say that we've um, eliminated, and I hate some of these words they use, we we eradicated, you know, a, a certain type of illness. We haven't. It's just gone into, you know, it, it, some areas, it just hasn't gone away. And I think, you know, we just need to be smart and, and do what we've done before. And and we get caught up in the euphoria of, of the COVID and the vaccination associated with COVID. Well, that was a new vaccination, right? There's track records for the other ones we're talking about here. And so I would hope, um, and I think you still have to confirm you have certain uh, shots and and when you go into a foreign country. Um, but I don't know. You wonder about the, what, the whole world of privacy and what you, you, know, you should have to declare and what you shouldn't have to declare. As right. far as I'm right. concerned, you should have to. You know, because you're you're taking a risk of introducing something into a country and whether it's coming from England to Canada or going from Canada to New Zealand. I know they've got stipulations because we've just gone through those in terms of a, of a trip that uh, my partner's taking in a couple That's weeks. Good. So. Mm-hmm. That's good. This is City News 570. It's the Friday 4 panel. Back with more in a moment. It's our Friday Four panel. Larry Fedorkin for Mike Farwell. Steve Bentley is here. David Kuhn, Linda Ockwell, uh, Jenner. Um, and we've talked, Linda, you've mentioned a couple of times coming from England. Maybe we'll start with you on this. King Charles III and his diagnosis. I, I really don't know where to begin with this. Did they? First of all, did they handle it right? I mean, uh, people talk he should be a role model and that if he's, a, if he's an older gentleman that has some cancer issues, early detection, and he should be more open. Should they be more open? Um, well, if it was the Queen, as I've read, um, she wouldn't say anything. You know, other royals have had serious illnesses. They haven't said anything. Um, I know many famous people, celebrities who could help the cause of cancer, and a lot of those people choose to stay silent. So basically, even though he's a king, he has to have some kind of private life to himself, and he's keeping it secret for a reason, as far as I'm aware. And I believe that once his treatment's over, he may well raise awareness. But, I mean... You shouldn't really throw stones if if you don't do what you want other people to do. Um, so I think it's a shame that people are picking on him. I think he should have some privacy at this time. Yeah. And um, he didn't need to tell us. We don't know half of what's going on in the royal family. Oh, yes, we do. It's in the media, isn't it? <laughs> well, and, but there is that. But and, and, and Steve, Steve, I mean, people talk about cancer being um, one of the most private I'm putting it correctly here. One of those private diseases, something that when it happens to you, it's it's a it's a family, it's a private thing more so. I think that Charles is playing it right. He's actually come out, and, you know, through his sources and said he has cancer and he's dealing with it. Right? That's the degree we need to know. We are not subject to hearing and knowing everything about the royals' lives. They have private lives. Yes, they're public figures, but I think we should just. Take a step back. I think Charles has changed ever since he's become king, and he's really starting to warm up to a lot of people. His attitudes have changed. I think Camilla's had some 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 role in that too, but very open, very cordial. You know, just the epitome of, of, of a royal figure for me. Um, and there was a time when I had a different attitude about about uh, King Charles, and I think he's just realized the responsibility he's assumed from his mom. But we don't need to know every single detail. I mean, either, even Kate, Catherine's going through some health issues too, right? That uh, they're sharing some information, but we don't need to know everything. And what really drives me nuts is when they go and interview some doctor who's had some affiliation with the royal family, and all of a sudden he's an expert on Charles's medical condition. Go away. You know what? <laughs> Let's just have facts presented to us, and we have to accept what they're willing to provide. Beyond that, 
it's nobody's business. Why should it be any different for you or I or King Charles in dealing with our medical issues? We're keeping you abreast. He is a royal figure, but he also needs to have some privacy and time to deal with whatever he's dealing with. It is. Yeah, it's it's a royal family. I mean, uh, there is a corporate element to it, but it's a family. So David will uh, give the last word to you on this one. You know what? He's king of Canada, the UK and 13 other Commonwealth countries. So I would say people have a lot of good reason to be curious about his health. But, you know, um, he's also a public figure. So, again, people are going to be curious. But that being said, he's a human being, he's someone's father, someone's grandfather, you know, et cetera. He's dealing with a serious illness. Both he and his family, they're entitled. They're all entitled to their privacy. Uh, You know, they did come out. They told us that he's dealing with something. You know, I personally think people should react as they would upon hearing anybody has cancer. Wish them well. Pray for them, whatever, whatever, you know, you do. If there's anything more that the public needs to be informed on later on, I have no doubt we're going to know. But beyond that, mm-hmm. no, leave, leave them their privacy. Seem to be in agreement on that. It's the Friday Four panel still to come. We're going to talk about auto theft, 24 Sussex, and, of course, the Super Bowl. All still to come here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. And with me on the Friday Four panel today, the president uh, at MotivationalSteps.com, Linda Ockwell Jenner. Uh, David Kuhn is here. He's a former um, chair uh, in accessibility and student advocacy. And um, David, you can do this because I, I always have too many words here. Former board chair at KW Accessibility, and I currently work in stakeholder relations in the post-secondary education sector. Thank you, David. <laughs> Host of the show, David Kuhn, please, if you can do a lot better this time. Thank you for that, sir. And uh, Steve Bentley is a managing principal at Northern River Financial. Uh, Stephen, thank you for being here as well. Uh, the epidemic of auto theft in this country, let's talk about that and Stephen, I'll start with you on this. A big summit in Ottawa, was it yesterday or certainly this week, involving um, manufacturers, government, insurance people. Uh, it's it's a bit of everything, I guess, needed to solve this, isn't it? Well, to solve it, I don't know that you can solve this. Oh, I mean, okay. this is very sophisticated crime in a lot of cases, and the technology is ahead of what a lot of people think it is. And it's getting, believe it or not, with the security features, it's even getting easier to steal vehicles because it's just a matter of, you know, using the electronic information that usually is set with a key set, you know, very close inside the door. They can copy it. They've got all the different ways. I don't pretend to be a technical aspect, but they need to get together. But this is also a Photoshop. It's basically an ability to get together and look like they're doing a lot of things about it. And as I said, the buddy-buddy between uh, Doug Ford and and Justin Trudeau, and there I got it right, Linda, uh, is amazing because they seem to get along, yes, but we've got a very strong conservative, a very strong liberal, and you wonder why. And, of course, the you know the conservative leaders in the background, I like what, uh, what Trudeau said about his catchy slogans and two-minute videos that won't solve the problem. Um, he's got to be part of that conversation, too, and that's the problem with politics in the sense that they've always got to find a way to ditch the other side but not really put credible information forward in terms of what they would do in a similar situation. So... To see they're trying to take some steps to do it, it's better than not doing anything. But I'm not absolutely convinced that we really can do something strongly about it. It's it's a very, very complicated crime. And it's a very 
I think it's larger than a lot of people realize. I mean, I know one person who had their vehicle stolen, two different vehicles stolen within within a week. And I think Whoa. sometimes just knowing where and how. And, That's and tough. People have to be, you know, and I think it comes down to personal security and doing whatever you can to make sure you keep your vehicle locked and secure as, as, as much as possible. And there are ways of doing that. A lot of people leave doors open, they leave keys in the ignitions, and, and they make it easy. I mean, I think almost everybody's had some vehicle theft. I did, too. Somebody broke into my car and, and a neighbor came to the door and said, is this your wallet? Unfortunately, I didn't have anything stolen, but somebody had you got into my car because I'd left the door open, right, mm. in my driveway. So it's very simple, and you wouldn't even know it. The um, technology they used to, to pull the code from your key fob and all this stuff, and I'm like, has anybody seen that thing where you wrap it around your steering wheel and lock it into your into your seat belt buckle, and it locks? You can't steer the car. It's like a hundred bucks. I mean, there's technology, but then what about you know, clean out your garage and lock your car in there. I mean, there's there's some things we can do. David? Uh, you know what? Everyone's using this as a political football at this point. Clearly, mm-hmm. there's a big issue. But rather than pointing fingers and blaming other people, you know, for being too tough, for not being tough enough, can't we just figure out how to deal with it? I mean, listen to the police. Listen to the folks who are dealing with this stuff every single day. Auto theft has always happened. You know, I think the big issue now is the amount of violence that is now connected to it, like carjacking and, and whatnot. And on one hand, I think there should be greater deterrence placed on people. But on the other hand, I don't think most criminals consider consequences before they commit a criminal act like that, because if they did, most people probably wouldn't do it. Uh, so, yeah, I think everyone needs to come to the table on this. You know, but right now it looks just like a bunch of finger pointing and I can do it better and we can do it better. Just, just, actually come together and talk and, you know, come up with some consensus. I, I think there are things that every level could do. If I mentioned the, the governments and the auto manufacturers and the insurance, I think every one of those could have something they could do. Linda? Yeah, I watched, um, don't know whether you guys did, watch a program on it last night. I was awake all night with my cough, so I watched some really good programs, as you can tell. So basically... Uh, is it okay to name a car dealer or just say a car, you know, is it okay to name? Sure, sure. So it's Toyota, who I believe is a good name. I've never had Toyota myself. So one of the the people who bought one of those newish cars, there's something built in by Toyota to deter this kind of thing. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. So I'm not blaming Toyota because I believe this is all new and our cars didn't used to be computers years ago, did they? They are computers now. So I think the car manufacturer should do something that works and like in my case um in our case rather we make sure if our keys are hanging up they're hanging up so that if somebody's outside by my car or dave's car they can't do what they do because it's got to get through lots of walls and stuff like that or you can get a case if you want to hang your keys up hide them away like that like everybody said we can't deter the crime but i dislike when politicians say let let me see what he said um <laughs> Trudeau is hinting, hinting at stiffer penalties. A hint is worth nothing. We need action. I do believe that stiffer penalties eventually will catch on. I could be wrong. I mean, you know, everyone's got an opinion. So the police want stiffer penalties. Also, it's a lot of foreign people, I believe, from India, Pakistan, places like that, who are 
the bad guys who again are all sent over there. And yes, Steve, I know some people who who's had it happen to them at the airport with the same people. And you think you park your car at the airport and it's safe, but it's not. So I think why don't we all work together and help solve this situation versus blaming A, B, or C? But if you're a politician, don't tell me you are. What is it? Thinking about you know doing something, just do it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> uh, something um, Steve said about park or parties working together is going to come up in our next discussion because I'm going to bring it up when we talk about 24 Sussex, which is next here on our Friday 4 panel on City News 570. Welcome back to the Friday 4 panel. Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell. Uh, Linda Ockwell Jenner is here. David Kuhn, Steve Bentley. 24 Sussex. So I haven't heard about 24 Sussex for a long time since basically uh, Justin and then family said we're not going to live there. But I heard about it recently. They've taken all the asbestos out. Uh, most of the rats and mice are gone. Uh, they've replaced all the old electrical and most of the old plumbing. And now it's kind of like, well, where do we go from here? And of course, the the problem is no prime minister wants to say, yeah, let's spend Thirty million for whatever it is, because it looks like they're just creating this luxurious place for themselves. Um, Linda, what what do you think? What do we do at Twenty Four Sussex? There it sits. Thank you. Well, evidently it's all been like made safe now. But did you know the mice might come back? They made a point of saying, if it stays empty, the mice might come back. So because right, they're mice, um, yeah. So whoever's the prime minister can live anywhere they want. They don't have a problem with money. They're not homeless. So let's not worry about, you know, what prime minister, where he's going to live, it can rent anywhere if he wants. Now, I know most people, I'm a Canadian citizen. I love being a Canadian citizen. Yes, we could make it into kind of, um, what do you call it, a, a museum and people could visit it. But that would be a shame because we have so much homelessness today. So it could be one of two things. It could be a base for homeless people. Yeah, and the government could give money towards a really, really good cause, or it could be made into apartments for families who really need somewhere to live. Now, this might seem harsh, but this is quite petty when we know that people, even other uh, people from other countries and students who want to, you know, study here, they've got nowhere to live. So why are we worrying about the fact that nobody wants to spend billions of dollars refurbishing it? I've given them lots of ideas. I hope they're listening. But um, I don't. I don't care if Justin don't want to live there. He can live anywhere he likes. Some people well, don't have that choice. There, there is climate change in the rising river and the softening banks, where the whole building might slide into the river at some point. So, because that's part of the cost of refurbishing it is make sure well, what, literally that it doesn't eventually erode into and float downstream. I mean, they've got rid of some beautiful. I've I've gone back in history, got rid of some beautiful buildings in Kitchener where I live and replaced it with a higgle to pickle day. It doesn't make any sense. So if it's going to go in the river, do it a favour and get rid of it now. But for goodness, <laughs> but for goodness sake, think about the homeless people, not about where the poor prime minister is going to live. Sorry. David, David Kuhn, uh, what do you think we should do with 24 Sussex? Well, tell us how you really feel in it. No. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is a nationally significant and historic building where the prime where prime ministers have lived and often they host and you know guests and dignitaries so i don't know why we're even talking about you know whether it should be fixed up and whether we should put money into it of course we should 
Canadians, the problem with Canadians and with politicians sometimes is we love to kick the cans down the road, especially on hot, yeah. hot shoes where it comes to spending money. You know, closer to home, we have infrastructure problems under the ground that need to be dealt with, you know, by various councils. And they they just they keep kicking the can down the road because they're afraid that people are going to balk at it and and are spending money to fix it. And I think that's what we see with uh, 24 Sussex. I think it's a symbol of Canada. It should be fixed. The, the prime minister should should live there. I mean, you know, looking to the south, I don't think we'd ever see any American, regardless of politics, say, let's not let's not fix the White House. You know, let's let it right. fall down. You know, so I think we need to take some pride in our in our national buildings and spend money where it needs to be spent. I think there's something to an official residence as well. Steve, so Sheila Copps was working with Ed Broadbent, and I don't know who the conservative was, but they were working at it as sort of a letter from three different parties to show that this isn't going to benefit just one party or the current prime minister, that this would be a a trilateral agreement that we need a residence like that. But then, of course, uh, Ed Broadbent is no longer with us, and we don't know where this initiative uh, is. But uh, what do you think we should do with it? I agree with David um, and sort of where this tri-party is going to. We need an official residence for the Prime Minister of Canada. I mean, the last renovation done to the White House was in the War of 1812 when they repainted it after we burnt it. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, a little. But you know what? We we got to to do what Linda was talking about. It's not necessarily that much cheaper, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of a lot of studying and engineering and, and restructuring and building. And if it's going to fall into the water, <laughs> I mean, maybe tie some life rafts around it or something. But I think that's an important thing. It's a symbol of Canada. It should be a symbol of Canada, but it's just another example. And I'm an ex-military officer. So where I take real issue is the government can't, and I don't want to say the government, the government in general never makes decisions on a timely basis. When we look at equipment for the, the Canadian forces, um, we're way, way, way behind on a lot of things. And they were flying, you know, things that, that are way past their lifespan, like the CF-18s, for example. We just end up spending a lot more money kicking the ball down the road and using David's uh, statement there, as opposed to trying to tackle it and find a solution. Why can't we do that, right? I got solutions. I, I think we look at it as a government, as opposed to being party-specific, because there's always going to be accusations. There's always going to be people who say, no, that's not the right way to do it. But we've got to do something. And we've been sitting with 24 Sussex for, for 15 years now. And it is needed. And all they're doing now is just maintenance. It's really we're fixing. We're fixing Parliament. I, I can, I'll can. i picture Parliament with two, those two cranes on the end forever now because of, <laughs> so we're doing that money, basically for the, our government. The money uh, can I, come from a place, Steve and I know where it's coming from, don't we, Steve? There is plenty, there are billions of dollars in the coffers. Come on, guys, help me out here. That money could fi- fix Sussex players, couldn't it? We all know they stop give, you know, charging us for the taxis on the car, that, that money. It's tough to have this discussion in during the housing crisis time, which is why I don't think part of the reason is they're not having it. Anyway, we'll break quickly and come back with our final topic. Friday four panel here on City News 570. Larry Fedorkin from Mike Farwell, Steve Bentley here, David Poon and Linda Ockwell Jenner. And uh, in our last few minutes here, Super Bowl. Uh between the or in the break, I should say, between segments, we already got uh, Steve 
Steve's prediction uh, for at least the game. Uh, you want to make it official, Stephen? Who do you like? Yeah, Sunday Kansas Super? City by 10. By 10? Yes. Wow. So I te- I would go with you on that. I, I, I tend to believe that is something similar is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, there was a show we did with Rogers a little while ago called Get to the Point, and the person who was host was an avid Kansas City fan. So I'm hoping. Yeah. I, I, I just I just like the whole Mahomes, you know, three Super Bowls in five years. I, I just love that whole dynasty thing. I love that story. David Kuhn, what do you think? I think I'm not going to be as specific as Steve because when I gamble, I always lose. So, you know what? I think no matter what happens, we'll hear about it on Monday, no matter what, uh, no matter who wins, no matter what happens with Taylor Swift or Usher <laughs> or Justin Bieber. So we'll, we'll find out. Now, I should say Justin Bieber, Usher is a halftime show, and and uh, Bieber was his protege for a lot of years. So uh, Usher has said, I'm bringing a whole list of people. I've worked with a lot of people, and he's not saying who. So speculation is it might be Bieber. It might be a lot of others. So that's that's halftime. But that's just one of the one of the fun stories this weekend outside of the game is, is the halftime show, as it always is. Uh, Linda, what do you think? Well, the embassy of Japan... Uh, Tokyo, right? Yeah, no, the Embassy of Japan have, have yeah. told us that Taylor Swift will get there in time. So my vote's on her. She's going to get enough goals or whatever it is you guys do in the, you know. Taylor Swift <laughs> is going to win the game because the Embassy in Japan said so. So I don't know why they're so interested, do you? It's not about her. It's about the game. Well, the thing is, and, and I'm sure you've all heard this, I probably we don't have enough time to bring this up, but I'm going to anyway – is that the Biden government, uh, the Biden administration, uh, conspired with the NFL to ensure that Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl so that it increases Taylor Swift's profile, who's already powerful, so that she will re repeat her endorsement of Joe Biden, thereby helping him win the election in November. That's got to be true. Of course. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take you for your word. Uh, <laughs> But I, I didn't make that up out of thin air. Somebody else no. did, and it, it got it's totally back. credible. Can you believe it? No such thing as fake news. Yeah, and I love the prop bets too—the uh, proposition bets of of what color lipstick will Taylor Swift wear, and uh, and uh, who will win the coin toss, and whether it be heads or tails. I love all those sides. I, I don't bet on them, David. I'm like you. I'm just—it's money gone away. But I—it's interesting. Well, I reiterate that's my prediction, not a bet. So. Right. Okay. I don't It's still a gamble. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Vacation, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, love having you on. Uh, all the best. Happy Super Bowl weekend. Happy weekend. And uh, enjoy the day. Thank right. you. Bye, Bye That's our Friday Four panel. Steve Bentley from uh, Northern River Financial. David Kuhn, former um, chair for accessibility and now a student advocacy and stakeholder relations in the secondary school sector and from motivationalsteps.com, the president, Linda Ockwell Jenner. That's our Friday four panel. We'll get to the coaches show. You'll hear Mike Farwell talk uh, to UC head coach of the Rangers. And also it's our 12 o'clock talk back hour all coming up next on city news, five seventy. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. For Mike Farwell is road trip. Mike is traveling with the team, and as we've just been saying, they're in Kingston tonight. 
Uh, this is our 12 o'clock talk back hour. We spend the hour handing it over to you. You talk about whatever you want to talk about. We do this every day, Monday through Friday, except a little change on Friday. We start the hour with the coaches show, which is Mike Farwell speaking with uh, the Rangers head coach. Let's get to that. Here's Mike Farwell. Well, there's a chance this weekend to get to Ottawa. Have you been to Canada's capital before? No, I haven't, actually. And uh, I haven't been in Kingston either, so all new cities. <laughs> a lot of history up here for this part of the country. Well, yeah, that's what I've, what I've heard, and I've heard nice cities, both of them. So although it's a quick trip, can't really have time, to, don't really have time to see them, but maybe later on. How was your week of practice after the game in Erie? Oh, we practiced hard, a lot of battles, uh, and just getting small details correct and working, working hard. That's, I think, what we need right now. We have gotten into now 50 games of the season. The playoffs almost around the corner. Do you feel like this is the time where the team has to kind of start getting back to playing the way they were at the start of the season? Well, yeah, it doesn't. Is it eighteen games or? But you have to have the, have to have the season. But then again, like I said, it's the season goes on, and you have to. Your game has to get better all the time. And uh, we've had a tough stretch. Uh, of course, the Erie game was a really bad one, but I thought uh, Guelph we were better. But those kind of games, like what Erie, like they just can't happen. And. Uh, now we have to get, get back on track and get even better at what we were in the beginning of the season. How are the guys feeling during this stretch? It's, you know, it's, been, it's been the toughest stretch of the season. How's the morale? How's everybody feeling? Mm, I think we're, this week was really good in practice and uh, working hard. Uh, of course, we're missing in some of the, before, before a couple games, uh, we're missing quite a bit. So now we're kind of getting the team together and getting again practice with the whole team and uh, yeah it's uh, uh, the week week went good but now it's time to sh- for the players to show it's uh, the hardest teams I, I think the hardest times to coach too when things aren't going so well you got to figure out ways to get these guys going in the right direction well that's that's coaching uh, it always everybody gets a tough stretch during the year and uh, I think if we manage this well, it might be really good for us. Thinking about about the playoffs, like you have to go through adversity, and now it's just more uh, how we how we handle it and how we you know, bounce back. Are you concerned about a guy like Carson Rakoff, who's been nine games now without scoring a goal? Well, of course you have to be. Uh, there's quite many many other guys who are top guys who haven't scored, but. Uh, uh, everything comes from the mindset and from starting on in practice and uh, w- things you do. And I think when he gets the goal, it, it'll after that might change a lot. So, but yeah, for sure you have to think what's going wrong, like why he's not scoring. And uh, he, uh, but uh, we have it's a team team thing, and you have to. Somebody's not somebody other has to execute. What do you need to do to be successful against the Kingston Frontenacs tonight? Uh, I, I really want to see us being physical, uh, ready to battle, and uh, overall uh, 
play a good 200 feet game, and then we'll see. Uh, then we have a ch- good chance. UC, thanks for this. Good luck in the game. All right, thank you. UC Ahokas, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, joins us for the Coaches Show every Friday morning or Friday afternoon, uh, right at this time. And we're getting set for the Frontenacs and the Rangers tonight on City News 570. Paul Fixter and I will be on the air with pregame coverage starting at 6.35. Now, the Rangers, as you know, struggling lately, have lost six of their past seven games, including a 6-1 loss in their last game, which was last Saturday versus Erie. And that game followed the Rangers' win over Guelph, snapping a five-game losing streak on home ice. Uh, Certainly a victory that the fans enjoyed as the Rangers scored in the final minute and then won it in overtime. Both of those goals, the game-tying and the game-winning goal in overtime, came from Matt Sopp, who has now scored 30 goals on the season. But the following night, a bit of a dud on the road in Erie, so the Rangers just still trying to find their way at this point of the season with, again, those playoffs seeming to be just around the corner. As for the Kingston Frontenacs, they find themselves in a battle near the bottom of their conference. Even though they've been playing some better hockey since Christmas, they underwent a coaching change earlier this season and have now won back-to-back games and three of their past five. So a team the Rangers will have to be ready for tonight. They'll also, the Rangers will, get to see a former teammate in Roman Schmidt, who is now a member of the Kingston Frontenacs. He has just returned from a six-game suspension. And speaking of sixes, he's also scored six times since arriving here in Kingston to start playing on the blue line for the Frontenacs. So those are some of the storylines as we get you set for the Rangers and the Frontenacs tonight. Again, the coaches show every Friday afternoon at this time with Rangers head coach UC Ahokas, and we will be on the air from the Leon Center in Kingston. Paul Fixter and I with your pregame coverage beginning at 6.35. We'll take a break, and when we come back, your 12 o'clock talkback begins with Larry Fedorik. Be nice to Larry today. You're listening to City News 570. And thanks again to Mike Farwell for hosting the coach's show. He's on the road with the Rangers. Perfect opportunity to uh, talk to the coach ahead of this away game tonight. 6.35 pregame begins. And Mike said on his extra there, be nice to Larry, he said. You know, you don't have to. I, I appreciate Mike saying that, but you don't have to. But if you want to, sure, I'll, I'll take whatever you got. It's it's your hour here. It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour what do you want to talk about? Is it the Super Bowl? Is it auto theft? Is it King Charles? Is it inflation? Is it measles? Is it is it Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin in Moscow? Boy, that was something. I, I, I've yet to watch all of that. Don't know that I will. Uh, maybe the highlights are good enough for me. I mean, it was obviously set up um, by by the Russian Putin administration. So um, I don't know what we expected out of that. It wasn't exactly a, a coup for an American journalist to get into Moscow and talk to Putin in this particular case. But anyway, it's up to you, whatever you want to talk about. Here's Grant. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, Grant, go ahead. So we have to be nice to you. Oh, my goodness. No, you don't have to. I said you don't have to. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> just harassing you. Um, yeah, what was the big deal last night of Joe Biden. I, I I, turned it off. Was it that important to interrupt every, your regular programming? I don't know. 
And on the, oh yeah, on the Rob Snow thing too, they did a, uh, what was it, uh, breaking news. Right. Oh, uh, the NHL going to Olympics again. Is that breaking news? If I mean, yeah, not. It's not. It's they make enough money, and now they're going to make even more money to go in there. They don't need that. If they go there, yeah. they go there for fun. I I think. And then I just heard yesterday that baseball player. Uh, that has that's from the uh, Blue Jays that has braids in his hair. He's getting a ton of money again. If I was the manager or the owner, there would be a clause in it. If he don't like it here, you don't play anywhere else. This is what you're going to get paid. You don't like it? Tough beans. Hmm. There's there's a lot of people out there that don't get a that are struggling for money, and these players are getting paid an outrageous amount, and then they get a bonus, like like the uh, All-Star game. My goodness. Yeah. I think what they should just get is, is maybe a trophy of some sort, but not, I know this, Hockey player Connor McDavid, he got a big chunk of money because he he won the I some the skills competition. Yeah, he got a million dollars for winning the skills competition at the NHL All Star game. So that that's not right either. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't. Grant, thanks for the call. I didn't because you brought up a lot of stuff there. I didn't particularly like. I, I kept waiting for that. And Connor McDavid wins a million dollars. Or his favorite charity. I was waiting for that. And and I'm sure Connor McDavid does enough. I'm sure he shares his money. I'm not saying anything about him and how he helps people out with his money. I'm hoping he does right by being well off. But, yeah, a million dollars. I, I don't think the NHL players make money going to the Olympics, other than maybe their own personal profile and endorsements may go up if they have a good Olympics. Uh, the whole NHL deal is so that they don't lose money. That was, it's like, well, it's, we're going to suspend our season. We're going to send all our players. Who pays the insurance? Who pays for the flights? Who pays for the hotels? Who pays for all? And, and that was the agreement where that's not coming out of owners' pockets. And believe me, the Olympics is a whole other thing. They got money. The Olympics has money. It's, uh, they make a lot of money on the backs of quote unquote amateur athletes, you know, in athletics. So, uh, as to Biden, the whole season, Grant brought up a lot of stuff. The whole breaking news thing, they had a policy at CNN, which I think they've changed after a bunch of different leadership changes, uh, where they were going to, they were going to drop the term breaking news. I noticed CBC still uses it a lot. Breaking news. It's not breaking news. It's maybe it's new information or maybe it's a development of a story we already know. Breaking news should really be reserved for breaking news because it's lost its its cachet. It's breaking news. Well, but it, yeah. 
It's a boy who cried wolf scenario, right? We don't believe you. Um, as far as Biden last night, I didn't fa- I didn't realize pe- that maybe networks broke into regular programming because I don't usually watch regular programming. I mostly watch news or or streaming services that don't have breaking news. <laughs> but um, there was a investigation into Biden's um, use of classified documents. Because remember, he had some classified documents that they found and he shouldn't have had them and he turned them over and everything was fine. But they investigated it. And a Republican who was in charge of the investigation said, we're not going to hold him in criminal contempt or responsibility because he's an old man who's forgetful, which is even, I'd rather be charged with a criminal offense than be told I'm an old guy who's forgetful. So he, he held the conference immediately to basically say, I'm not old and forgetful. And then he made a bunch of mistakes, which is just didn't help his cause at all, you know, cause that's age is an issue and especially his age, an issue in the American election right now. So, I guess that's why they broke in with his conference, and I watched part of it this morning, and it wasn't particularly breaking news. But um, uh, it's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. What do you want to talk about? Kyle, we'll get to you next right after this short break here on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik, sitting in for Mike Farwell. What do you want to talk about? It's up to you on the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Thanks for holding. Appreciate it. Kyle, go ahead, Kyle. You're on the show. Mr. Larry, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, You know, all these people are talking about, you know, these people that want electric cars and have Teslas and all that stuff really, really like them. I'm not convinced. You know, I watched a documentary on the on on um, a Canadian documentary, actually, on how electric vehicles, you know, there, there are issues still going on and all that stuff. And. You know what the biggest thing that I've noticed there, Larry, is the fact mm. that you've got manufacturers like General Motors, GM, and Honda coming together now and cooperating to build a hydrogen fuel cell. You have BMW now that, again, is now pushing hydrogen instead of electric because there's so many issues. you got Toyota, who doesn't even want to go electric. They're pushing, again, hydrogen vehicles. And that's what I'm really looking into. I can't wait to actually wait until a hydrogen vehicle comes out because there is no mining. There is no harmful, all this stuff. You know what comes out of the exhaust of a hydrogen vehicle? Pure water. water. It's so pure that you can't even drink it because there's no nutrients in it. That's how pure the water is, right? And you've got, uh, there's a trucking company in the States called Nikola that is now has a hydrogen uh, truck that they're really pushing that will get 500 uh, miles of range. And you know how long it takes to fill up that hydrogen? takes about five minutes, Larry. Five <laughs> minutes. People say it's a ticking time bomb, but a car, a vehicle is a bomb, too, because it, it holds fuel and vapors catch fire. You know, there's all that stuff, right? So, you know, there's no argument on it, but I really, really, really can't wait for hydrogen to, to come out because they say it's like the next diesel engine. So, there you go, Larry. That's all i got to say. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, man. You're preaching to the converted, to the preaching to the choir there. I I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think that... that society will rue the day that they went lithium if we continue on this lithium path. You've just replaced one mining with another one granted with with a battery car. Uh, You've taken, you know, if you have 10,000 electric cars, you've taken those exhaust cars, no matter how clean they burn, you've taken those exhaust carbon engines off the street. I get it, but 
I just think lithium is just a it's just a repeat of gas and oil, basically, uh, in a lot of ways. And and hydrogen, I'm with you, man, on that. Mark, go ahead. You're on the twelve o'clock talk back hour on City News five seventy. Go ahead, Mark. Hi, Larry. I, I agree with what uh, Grant was saying there, uh, especially about uh, uh, McDavid and Matthews win- winning a million bucks in the skills competition. Yeah. Um, I think they should, uh, yes, get the million and then give it to a charity of their choice tax-free. What do yeah. you think about that? Well, I, I don't know what they give and what they don't, so I'm not going to say what they should do, but I just the fact that it's that it's offered... Uh, is is a mistake in the first place. Like, it should be offered as we'll donate a a million dollars to the charity of their choice. It should be taken out of their hands altogether. They don't need the money, Larry. (laughs) No, no. And and it's a skills competition. So the guy who's making $300,000 a year or whatever the league minimum is, I think it's higher than that, which is already a good salary for a person. I actually hope they they change that rule. Uh, Yes, give the guy a million bucks but then give it to a charity of their choice. Yeah, I, I agree. Mark, thanks. Okay, you know, thanks, Larry. Thanks, man. We actually have, we, my son and I actually have this theory, that if you if you dissolved all professional sports right now and said everybody just plays for fun and everybody can go to the park and watch it for free, that professional sports as we know it today would be back within 18 months. Because somebody would say, well, I'm a better player. Why don't you give me 20 bucks to, because uh, I hit home runs and people are coming to see me. And then somebody's going to set up a hot dog stand and charge money. And the other guy goes, well, you know what? Why don't you give me 50 cents to come watch? And we're back to professional sports the way it is today. Uh, $10,000 for a ticket to the Super Bowl. We're back there in 18 months. It's just the way it is. But subtle changes can be made along the way to make it fair, I think. 12 o'clock talkback hour continues in a moment here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Whatever you want to talk about. And yeah, boy, garbage decision, Bell Media. Um, I probably shouldn't be talking about it, shouldn't spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, we're talking about it. It's a lot of jobs. It's an industry that uh, I've spent a lot of years in and, and been very proud of. And it's changed tremendously due to social and various other things. And there's things that the government is doing that I that I disagree with. And there's things that media is doing that I disagree with. Uh, but I'll tell you why the prime minister is so feisty today on the Bell Media decision. Because uh, Bell Media, in their lengthy dissertation of why they made these changes, took a direct shot at the feds yesterday. There's a line in there somewhere where they took a direct shot at the federal government's role in media and communications and how it's forced their hand. So I'm paraphrasing. Uh, So they took a shot at the Trudeau government. So the Trudeau government is taking the shot right back at Bell Media today. So meanwhile, meanwhile, a bunch of people don't have jobs. And it's, uh, you know, you hear some of the big name people and you you hope, well, they're they're big names and they're very high paid. So they could probably, and they probably got... uh, you know, six months, a year's salary and some benefits and stuff coming. So no immediate tag day to be held for these people. And maybe some of the, you think, you think the, 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 there's very talented people. They'll, they'll end up on their feet, but will they where, where, where to go when, 
when media is changing and it's that many people, you know, suddenly that where are these people going to end up? I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're going to be fine now and a year from now, but the, a year from then what happens? You know, it's, there's a lot of things, but I don't want to, it's a little inside baseball. So maybe we won't talk too much about media, although I think it's an essential local news is an essential service. Uh, and it's, it's up there. It's up there with, uh, well, not as important as healthcare, but it's, you know, when you start to get into healthcare, mental health care, and then what information we have and reliable information, that's an existential cause. I do believe it to be true. But anyway, what would you like to talk about? It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Again, 519, locally it's 519-570-2545. Toll free is 1-800-570-5715. Or star 570 on your cell. Uh, as I said earlier, do you want to talk Super Bowl? Do you want to talk uh, King Charles? Do you want to talk um, measles, car theft? You know, we were talking about auto theft briefly on the uh, Friday 4 panel. And where the feds have to step up, and we didn't quite have time for this point, is where the feds have to step up is to close the market. So if there's a market for these Canadian stolen cars in other nations, then they have to get there. So where the feds have to step up is is staff and resources to be checking those shipping containers that seems to be very easy for these shipping containers to load up with an SUV or two or three, whatever fits in there. And uh, be on a ship and gone out of the port of Montreal before uh, anybody can really figure out where that where that vehicle might be. So the fact that you can tells me that you can stuff just about anything you want into a shipping container and it's going to leave this country unchecked. That that doesn't work. So that's where the Fed step in. I think I, I, I don't know if they if they you know institute new laws or or tougher penalties or all those things that might be as jurisdiction of a province as well, but that's the area where I think feds have to step up. And I think manufacturers have to step up too, because if they make a, a vehicle that or, or a product that's that easy to steal, then maybe they should have some safeguards or more safeguards in the vehicle. And of course, everybody's saying it's going to cost more. Yeah, probably is. Uh, here's Jason on the uh, 12 o'clock talkback hour. Jason, go ahead. Larry, you know, after hearing about yesterday's cuts at uh, a Bell Media, you know, we're losing lunchtime news and we're losing weekend uh, weekend uh, evening news. It's just, you know, I where are we going to get our news from? I, you know, I don't want to have to turn to, geez, heaven forbid, you know, Twitter or, or, or Facebook, which we can't get on right now on uh, Canadian news. And so, you know, the record uh, from when I first moved to Kitchener 23 years ago, you know, the size of the record then, compared to the size of the record now it's 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 not even half i think it's a quarter or less than a quarter and so you know where are we going to get our news from that that's what worries me going forward that there is so much misinformation out there in the world that you know i i believe in local journalism i believe in and you know having a relationship um with our local journalists by either paper or or um or news, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're, we're treading down a slippery slope that, you know, we're going to be handed so much misinformation and what's the ultimate 
result of that, you know, we it could be a huge catastrophe across the world if, if misinformation um, gets out there. So, uh, you know, I hope that we can, you know, as as as, uh, as people, we can stand up and say, no, we need local democracy. Right. We need local uh, local news stories, you know, that tell that touch and impact our, our everyday life. I'm with you, man. I, Jason, I hear you. I, I agree totally. Thanks for the call. It's it's there's studies have shown and I've talked about this before is that a lack of local news contributes to polarization in a nation. And it's the short version is because I got to go to break here, but the short version is. If you don't have local news uh, and something happens in, in your city, if it, maybe it gets reported by a national broadcaster or a national source. But the national source reporting on a story in Kitchener, they got to worry about who cares in Vancouver and who cares in Halifax. So they start saying, this happened in Kitchener. This could happen to you. And that kind of... That kind of thing happens, which now leads to uh, a blanket view of issues and topics and events, which then leads to polarization. That's the short version of it. So there's and and Jason, what's going to happen? It's already happening. It's already a detriment to society that we don't have local news because you can't afford it. And and companies look at bottom line and making a good quarterly report instead of actually saying that we're dedicated to local news. There's another factoid on this that I'll share with you after the break. This is City News 570. Mike is traveling with the Rangers. Hear him tonight at 635, coming out of Kingston as the Rangers take on the Frontenacs. Pre-game starts 635. Mike Farwell traveling with the team as the voice of the Rangers. I'm Larry Fedorik. Uh, and uh, again... I feel kind of odd talking about the Bell Media thing because it's media talking about media, and I'm sure there's other concerns. But I'm trying to make the point that local news and, and information, reliable information, is an existential cause. I think we're learning more and more how false information is is killing us, right? And And what Bell Media said, here's the factoid that I noticed yesterday that nobody really jumped on. Was Bell Media in their statements of cutting jobs and selling off half of their radio stations, basically, including the ones I used to work at, um, are – they said news is losing $40 million annually. Now, I don't care how rich your company is as a CEO and a CFO and all these people, and board of directors. You don't want to say, all right, let's just pee away $40 million. You don't want to do that, I guess. But $40 million – BCE is worth 50, roughly 50 billion with a B dollars, 50 billion dollars. 40 million is less than 0.1, not 1%, 0.1% of what they're worth as a company. Again, you don't want to just give away money or let it flow down the drain. But if you're going to be in this in the, in the media business and you want to say, I'm news, and I just fired Lisa Laflam and I hired another high-priced guy and we're doing news, then you're in the business of news and this is the price you pay for being in the business of news. It's 0.1%. You run it at a loss. We're, we're going to, you know, you're, um, 
I don't know of another dumb example. You're gonna we're gonna put this lost leader out at the front of the store. We're losing money on this on this sale item because it's bringing people into the store. Like maybe that's how you run news, uh, and and that's where I get the federal government saying this is terrible. They committed to local news. You commit to it, and then you're gonna lose forty million dollars on news, which is of your total big media company that includes fiber optics and telephones and everything else, you're going to lose 0.1%. And then, but you're going to provide news, including local news in places like Kitchener. And you're going to do it. And and that's the cost. And then you can charge more for commercials when you run the rookie or when you run Canada's family feud, or that's the CBC. I get it, but same model, Right. Because news is not going to be your for-profit center. News is your responsibility as a, as a media broadcaster. That's your responsibility. The other way you might do it is NPR and PBS. That's the mo- Maybe that's the model for news. Because you don't want government to subsidize news because then government sort of has a say in how news is run. And you don't want that, ultimately. Even if you like the government who's in power, you don't want that. And you don't want big corporation bottom line people running news. So you do it on based on grants, foundation grants, corporate grants. Every every month there's a telethon and we all send our five dollars in, and that's how you run information. Would that I mean would, would that work better? Here's Zoltan on the twelve o'clock talk back hour. Go ahead. Okay, just a, a quickie. Uh, I hope yeah. you're old enough uh, to know that there was a time in the days of Walter Cronkite and other people that news was not a profit center. News yeah. was there to inform the country, to inform the state or the province what was going on, and that's so very important. And not until the advent of CNN and all the hype they had that we decided to make news a paying thing. And now everybody looks at news as a paying thing, and it should not be. It should be there to inform the general public of what is going on in their province, in their city, in their country, and the world. And I thank you very much for listening. Thank you, sir. That's a good call, and you're exactly right. And I've often said this, because news is not cheap to do. You have to have talented people. You have to have you know, people who've studied at high levels to be expertise in politics and, and information and other areas, uh, which they tend to demand a, a decent salary and a, a better one than that. And then you have to have a, a correspondent in Beirut and London and Moscow and Kiev, and you have to go where the news is. It's not cheap to do, but that doesn't mean it should be a for-profit. It's going to cost money. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be a for-profit thing. So, anyway, pardon the microphone noise there. We're going to take a short break, get to more of your calls in a moment, here on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell. Our 12 o'clock talkback hour is down to our 12 o'clock talkback minutes. So, uh, got a couple minutes left if you want to uh, get a call in. Manny has been holding. Thanks for holding, Manny. Go ahead. Larry, what a beautiful day today. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that amazing? 
I was like, I was listening to those ads about the extreme weather center, and I'm like, 11 degrees, February 9th. That's extreme, man. (laughs) My my afternoon sunburn is going to be extreme. Um, All right. But on the topic of BCE, this is a a quote that I used with Brian Burke a couple years ago on this show. And I said, this is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know that we know they are lying. We know that they know that we know they are lying, and they still continue to lie. The media is not our friend any longer. It is almost completely an attached arm of the government, and the open funding of it by our government to the media tells us as much. In a country where propaganda uh, against against the citizenry of a country is legal. Um, the media has not atoned for their their sins of COVID past and the lies that they told about COVID. And there is fear involved in that as well. But nobody has done um, a recount or no one's gone back to look at what's happened, you know, and the media is completely responsible as well. They're the ones that kick this up into this frenzy. And you know what people do is they pay attention. There's something, in, you know, like we, everybody in the West can look at, like in Russia, they had whatever. There was only one source of news called Pravda, and Pravda was the truth. And the free West was able to look at it and like, what a joke that is. And you know who else knew it was a joke? The Russians knew it was a joke, too. You know who else? Yeah. You know who now knows what we call, uh, Canadians know our media is a joke. We are not paying attention anymore. We're going to different sources. And lest... Anybody in media forget, you keep lying to us, we're tuning out, we don't listen anymore, we don't care. And it's a beautiful day, and I'm going to enjoy thinking about how much freer we're going to be in Canada once we, once we can all see through all this mess. Larry, all thank right, you Manny. so much, and have a great weekend. Have a great day, have a great weekend, go Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go as far as Manny. I, I, I would disagree with the second half of what he said there, but... Um, you know, going back to Zoltan and, you know, Zoltan was saying back when there was Cronkites and CBS and all those, they, you know, it changed when CNN came along. CNN changed the game of news and information for sure, uh, 1980. But it was happening years before that. Watch the movie Network, which is circa 7071. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I should know the year it came out. But Patty Chayefsky wrote it, the great playwright. And part of the premise of network, so, and this is like 50 years ago plus, was that the entertainment division of a network wanted to take over the news division because the news division was losing money. But the news division was allowed to lose money because the owner, the old man owner of the network said news is news. And that was kind of modeled on CBS and what was, and what was already happening uh, on, on networks and, and traditional media. And in a lot of ways, traditional media let their, grip slip by watching the bottom line instead of the top line anyway that's a weird thing to end on but i gotta stop there thank you to everyone at city news 570 and everyone listening for uh having me in for mike farwell today mike will return on monday catch him on the pregame with the rangers tonight at 6 30 enjoy the weekend enjoy this beautiful day we'll talk soon